And we are on air for Auto Club's NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Up here on Fan for Racing Radio with our Fan for Racing crew. And joining me for tonight's show is Jay Huseman as co-host. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, great to be into the racing season now. I know we got through Daytona, a lot of hype coming in, as well as coming out. Uh, we'll talk about some of that with hot topics, but now we get into the meat of the season, starting with Auto Club Speedway out in California. Yes, indeed. This is where a lot of people think uh, this is where the season really begins. So uh, we've got a few other tracks to really get a feel for how this uh, next-gen car is going to be for the rest of the season. But uh, Auto Club Speedway is the next step in that process. Now, tonight we're we're going to uh, talk a little bit of short track racing here in the first 15 minutes. Then we'll get into some ARCA racing updates for the ARCA Racing, ARCA Menard Series, as well as the ARCA East and ARCA West. And the Sioux Chief Showdown, because the first uh, race of that series will be starting up here soon as well. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we have our guest, Brandon Paul. He's the uh, senior editor at Flow Racing, and uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting with him. I know he's uh, he's uh, been busy in motorsports for a while now, so he brings a lot of expertise to his role at Flow Sports racing uh so that's pretty cool okay at 9 15 we'll get into our nascar truck series preview actually it's not a preview it'll be an update because they're not racing this weekend uh but at 9 30 we will get into the xfinity and then the cup series preview for auto club Speedway, so definitely looking forward to that tonight. 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, I'm sure that our Fan for Racing crew will have quite a bit to talk about uh, throughout the evening. So uh, definitely uh, stay tuned for Hot Topic Sound Off at 10. Okay, so let's talk some short track racing. One of the things that kind of came to my attention that I wanted to make sure we talk about here tonight uh, Jay, is uh, that the 2022 Kawiki Driver Development Program, they announced their semifinalist today. Actually, it was uh, yesterday. But uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I love this program. They do so many great things for the drivers that are looking to uh, take it to the next level of their uh, career development. And uh, it was a pretty big announcement. Yeah, the programming itself, I know we've talked about this the last couple of years and some of the names that we've seen come through it. And we talk about it when we cover the Arkham Nard series and the short track racing names you don't know yet, but you will. And it starts here with these 16 semifinalists. You may be hearing them for the first time, depending on if they're from your area or not. A couple of them uh, were familiar to me, but come two, three, five years down the road, they're going to be a lot more familiar to all race fans. Yes, indeed. That's why this short track racing is such an important part of being a race fan is because you get a chance to know these drivers uh, before they get into NASCAR's top three. And uh, it makes you want to follow them throughout their entire uh, journey. So uh, let's go ahead and cover uh, these 
drivers. I'll start uh, with the first couple, and then you can do the next two. Uh, Jackson Boone uh, from Franklin, Tennessee, is one of the finalists of, of these 16 finalists. He's a pro-late model and super-late model, uh, and a former uh, co-working semifinalist. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, seeing Jackson Boone as part of this development program. Then there's uh, Jacob Bortz. He's from Elon, North Carolina. He also races late model stock car. Uh, he's top rookie in points and runner-up at South Boston Speedway last year. And, uh, again, we're looking forward to seeing him race throughout the season this year. Next on the list, we got Chad Boots out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Another one that is a former semifinalist here for this program. He's a 2021 Super Late Model Champion at Norway Speedway. And Nick Egan, uh, come out of Lemoria, Wisconsin. Another former sem- uh, semifinalist here. Super Late Models and Pro Late Models. Former Rookie of the Year in the Big 8 Series, as well as Midwest Trucks. Uh, picking up several uh, feature wins with them. Okay, next up we've got uh, Max Taylor from Caledonia, Illinois. He's just 18 and also was a 2021 uh, Kowalki finalist. He races in super late model and pro limited late model uh, and was the 2020 Big 8 Series champion and the 2020 National Short Track Champion race winner. So uh, look forward to hearing, seeing more from him. Ryan Kuhn from East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, uh, is 20, another 2021 Kowicki finalist. He races super late model, pro late model, and late model stock. He's also the former Seekonk uh, Speedway champion and accomplished sim racer. So oh, there's your eye racing. Well, then we go north of the border. Austin McDonald, Kamada Pico, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Nova Scotia, Canada, is a super late model and pro limited late model, three-time U.S. Legends champion, and turned to the Pro All-Star Series, the past north, uh, has finished fourth, third, and second in their first three races. And then Zach Miracle, I like that, uh, Monroe, North Carolina, you know, late model stock car, a 2019 U.S. Legends champion, and has turned a limited a late model stock competition at Hickory North Car- uh, Hickory Motor Speedway there in North Carolina. Uh, has got six wins already. Okay, and he's just 15 years old, so he might be the youngest one in this group that I've seen. Okay, next we've got uh, Jacob Not Not as bad. From Stoughton, Wisconsin, he's 20. He races in the Super Late Model, again, a former uh, co-wiki finalist with uh, a limited budget. He successfully transitioned to the Super Late Model uh, series with wins at Jefferson and Lacrosse and winning the Tough Tundra competition. So uh, that's Jacob Nottestad. Hayden Plyben. Uh, from Spokane, Washington, uh, just 18 years old, races the super late model, pro late model, and the 2020 Stateline Speedway champion and two-time winner of the 2021 Northwest Super Late Model Series competition, uh, Hayden Cliven. Next up, we got Kate Ree out of Harrison, Maine, 18-year-old, super late model and pro late model. 
uh, has advanced from go-karts at the age of eight all the way up to the super late models and is the first female to ever qualify for the Oxford 250 uh, in 2020 and the highest female finisher in the Pro All-Star Series at Pass Series, uh, third at Lee USA in 2021. And then we got Evan Shotko, uh, Coopersville, Michigan, 18-year-old, the super late model, late model driver. And he comes from Dirt Modifieds, uh, become a consistent late model winner at Berlin Speedway. So a lot of variety of uh, age. I'll get to that when we, when we wrap up here. But So, Sharon, you move on to the next one there. Okay. Next we've got Daniel Savelstri from Ashburn, Virginia, 19-year-old late model stunt car. Uh, started in Bandoleros and Legends on Southside Speedway. He's won the Cars Tour, element, the late model super car series at Dominion Raceway. And last season, that was last season, he also won the pole at Martinsville. So Daniel Silvestri. Riley Stengem from Utica, Wisconsin, 22 years old, uh, another Kawaki semifinalist. He drives super late model and pro limited late model. In his second season driving the super late model, he's had steady progress that led to winning the 2021 Tundra Super Late Model Championship over noted veteran Casey Johnson and tutored. Uh, by Ty Majeski. That's a name that will be familiar to a lot of people. He was also a Kawaki driver development driver. All right, the last two we got here are Hunter Wright, come out of Gladville, Tennessee, age 21. Another uh, former semifinalist. He's a pro late model. He's a 2019 Tennessee state champ in the U.S. Legends, national runner up, uh, moved to pro late models and claimed Nashville Fairgrounds Rookie of the Year title in 2020. And the final one on the list uh, starts with a Z, so that puts him at the end of the alphabetical list. Dylan Zampa out of Napa, California, uh, 18 years old, another one that was a finalist uh, for the 2021 uh, development program here. Uh, Pro late model driver, one is a rookie at Madera Speedway in 2019. 2021 posted seven wins, five seconds, 20 top fives, and 22 top tens in the PLM competition. We finished runner-up in the Spears SRL PLM series points. Okay. Yeah, Dylan's been on our show as well. So uh, if uh, you follow our show, you'll recall that we did talk to him uh, when he became a uh, finalist and, and was selected to be in this program. So uh, he was hoping to be selected in this program. So uh, really cool to see these 16 drivers, Jay, getting that opportunity with the Kowuki Driver Development Program. Well, and, and what I was going to start into there, uh, I wanted to wait until we finished the whole list here, but you look at the, the age variance. Uh, you mentioned we got a 15-year-old up to, I think, 25 where they come from, uh, location. We saw all across the, the U.S., one from Washington, uh, California, and then as well as the one from uh, Canada, McDonald coming from Canada. But then looking at talking about what um, media, uh, trying to think of the way, what class they come from, some from go-kart, some from dirt modified, some have come through the late models all the way. But seeing that diversity all the way through this program, 
I think is really huge and what I like that it brings to the table. Yes, indeed. Now, the Kawaki uh, Cup competition goes from April 1st through October 31st. Uh, the contest point system is based on a combination of judging input from members of the advisory board and the driver's on-track performance. Drivers are given points for both their success in chasing checkered flags and for community engagement, program representation, and social media activities. So uh, uh, some of the graduates that have come through the Kawuki, uh Development Program, I mentioned Ty Majeski in 2015, Alex Prunty in 16, Cody Haskins in 17, Brett Yackley in 2018, Jeremy Doss, he's a big name out in the West, in 2019, and Lake Fenhouse in 2021. So uh, pretty cool uh, to see these 16 drivers that will be competing this year. And I know we got our list here. We, we couldn't cover all the information there, but the 16 are listed on uh, Racing America on an article under there. And the other thing I wanted to pull out, pull out of here, uh, one of the board members talked about it as they go throughout the year, following these 16 young racers on Twitter and their other social media platforms. I know a lot of them had that listed. Again, we couldn't give out all that information here in this window, but that that's how you get to know these drivers and follow them as their career develops. Uh, and again, maybe they'll be in your area and you get to go see them in person, uh, talk and meet with them too. So uh, great program there with the uh, Alan Kowicki's name attached to it. Well-deserved. Absolutely. And I got a little bit ahead of myself because next week they'll be doing interviews with a lot of these drivers and uh, they'll have a review and vote by the advisory board. uh, And they'll announce the seven drivers that will move on with the program on Wednesday, March the 23rd. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see as well. So watch, watch, mark that date on your calendar, March 23rd. That list will pair down to seven drivers. And, th- and that right there is a key part of it. You're talking about the driver interviews, the development that they do with these drivers. It's not just about racing. They got the racing credentials. It is about putting that total package together as they become a superstar and move up the ranks, uh, possibly all the way to NASCAR's top levels. Yes, indeed. Uh, like Ty Majeski is doing right now. Okay, Sammy Smith, we're going to move on to the Arca Menard Series. Uh, Sammy Smith is last year's Arca East champion, and he started out the season uh, very strong again. In fact, this whole season seems like a repeat of last year uh, with Sammy Smith winning uh, that East Series opener. He actually uh, found redemption because he maxed uh, Gutierrez won that race at New Smyrna last year, and Sammy Smith was the runner-up. Well, this year it was a little bit different because he did come home with that victory. Now, if you want to watch that race, along with the NASCAR Whalen Modified Tour, um, let's see, that race was held on, the Whalen Modified Tour race was on Saturday, February the 12th, but the, it's going to be replayed. It's going to re-air on Friday, February the 25th on USA, so you'll get a chance to watch that race, and that should start at about noon Eastern time, and then the Arkham Menard Series East Series opener, what, the one we just talked about uh, with Sammy Smith, that original date was on Tuesday, February the 15th. 
but also will re-air on Friday, February the 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So you'll want to set your DVRs to watch those races because uh, these guys put on some really good door-to-door uh, beating and banging type of racing. And uh, you'll watch Mask Scudieras. Uh, Corey Heim and Taylor Gray, the same three drivers that competed for the win last year, are the same three drivers that will be competing for that win this year. So uh, check that out for sure. A couple of things to hit there. Uh, Sammy Smith coming out and defending the title. A win is always what you're after. But there are certain tracks, uh, for whatever reason, drivers look for. In this case, you called it redemption. That race last year uh, being so close and ending the way it did in that three-wide three, three wide battle, um, to come back and get this one I think is double special for, for Sammy Smith. Uh, like you said, call it redemption. I know certain tracks are <laughs> hometown tracks or whatever that drivers get really pumped about winning. I think this one hit on so many levels for Sammy Smith. Like I said, he wants to come out and defend his title. So to come out winning like that says, hey, you know, I'm here again. Let you know it from the get-go. Exactly. And I, I, I plan to defend my title. Now, um, the next race for the Arkham Menard Series East is going to be the Pensacola 200. Uh, that race will take place March 19th at 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern at 5 Flag Speedway. And it will be uh, available via live streaming at Flow Racing. So uh, definitely check that out. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit more about flow racing coming up at our 9 o'clock half hour. Um, Let's talk about the Arkham Menard Series. Corey Heim repeated his win from last season. He won the season opener at Daytona, came back, and won the season opener again at Daytona in 2022. So uh, another big race for Corey Heim at Daytona. Uh, I noticed they use the word dominates. I don't even know if in this case that is a strong enough word. Uh, I think he led all (laughs) but like six laps. Uh, The good news, uh, if you watch the series, the battle between him and Ty Gibbs last year, Ty Gibbs has moved up to the Xfinity series. This was one of, uh, I think, limited starts for Corey Heim. Um, so, yeah, he did get that victory, but uh, as as we mentioned with the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series, the season really starts now. Corey Heim not running full-time with the Arkham Menard Series this year. Uh, there's some other names there that I think we're going to see the players when it comes to the championship after all 20 of the Arkham Menard races this year. Yes, thank you for clarifying that, Jay. Uh, I do appreciate it. Also, uh, check out the Reese's Sweet Move of the Race every week. Uh, fans can vote on the sweet move of the race, the Reese's sweet move of the race. And Tony Breidinger had an amazing save at Daytona. Uh, she's racing this year in the Arkham Menard Series. And it was good to see a female be on that list. Well, and I don't know if you watched that race, Sharon. Uh, I think uh, multiple of the sweet moves of the race uh, were she was eligible for. You, you're right. She did have a couple of... Uh, Really spectacular saves and some great driving hung in there the entire race. And, again, that's why I say as we go throughout the year, we're going to see some other names come up we haven't seen uh, recently or we've been watching and waiting as they hit their breakout year. And I think we're going to see some of that in the Arkham Menard Series this year. Uh, Daniel Dye is the other one that I, I really was impressed with and can't wait to see how he runs throughout the entire season. Yes, we had Christian Rose on the show on Monday night, 
and uh, he had a really nice-looking car at New Smyrna, and then he came back and run the uh, race here at uh, Daytona as well this past week. Uh, and he has a highlight of his sweet move of the race uh, with a slide at New Smyrna, and that was pretty incredible as well, too. His finish does not represent how well he drove, uh, but that Reese sweet move of the race, uh, certainly is an indication of how talented he is. And that's one of the things I, I think I would take away for, from him uh, with that of understanding that of, you're right, the finish wasn't uh, where you wanted it, taking away the positives from the weekend, and there certainly was uh, several for him. And, and the maturity already in his young career to be able to move forward with that, take those positives even from a bad finish. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I know he's planning to race out at Phoenix, uh, then, and that's the next race that's coming up. And, in fact, there's going to be three series all competing at Phoenix on March the 11th. So uh, it's one race, three series. So the Arca Menard series, uh, the Arca West, it'll be a season opener for them as well as for the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, again, it's the General Tire 150 on March the 11th, uh, 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, and I believe that that's going to be, uh, what, about 7.30 or is it 8.30 uh, Eastern Time? Uh, but it is at that uh, Phoenix Raceway, and it is going to be on Mav TV. So if you have Mav TV, you'll be able to watch the, that race. If not, uh, they do have coverage available for you at ArcaRacing.com. So check that out. There's a race central as well as a live radio broadcast. Well, and I can't wait to read it when we get to it, not only preview but review it. You mentioned that first race of the Sioux Chief Showdown a great program through the Arkham Menard series as some drivers aren't eligible for all tracks, maybe aren't running full time, but can still run for a championship. Uh, that Sioux chief showdown, 10 of the races within the 20 Arkham Menard series. And again, drivers that aren't eligible to run the full season due to age that can't run on all the tracks still have a shot at running for those points. So uh, just an awesome program. I know over the last couple of years that we've covered it, I get super excited about that. Yes, indeed. And last year, some of the best racing in the Arca Menard Series uh, was in the Arca West. So those are the drivers out on the West Coast uh, that participate in that series. And I'll tell you, uh, they put on a really good show last season. I can't wait to see what happens this season. Jesse Love won that championship last year. Most certainly, and you mentioned it. I know there. Uh, when we look at the West Series schedule, I know there's kind of we get uh, get excited, get to see their opener, and then we got to wait a little bit. Their schedule a little more uh, spread out um, in in between races, but certainly uh, when they do get to race, they deliver, like you said, on the track. Absolutely. Okay, I'm I'm going to leave a little time here so that we can talk about flow sport and flow racing. Uh, NASCAR uh, put together a partnership with the, the streaming service this year, and uh, Brandon Paul, who used to be over at Speed 51 uh, and Racing America, it's now called, uh, is now at 
uh, Flow Racing, and he is the senior editor there, Jay. Uh, Flow Racing, I did uh, actually sign up for it. I was able to watch that new Smyrna race on live streaming through Flow Racing, but they have a ton of coverage that is available at that streaming service. Yeah, you mentioned it, and we'll wait and see here. As Brandon Paul comes in, I don't want to take away any of his thunder, but you're right. The package that they have at Flow Racing, the content that you can get, and I'll let him speak to that, um, starting with what you just mentioned of covering the World Series of Asphalt at New Smyrna, uh, as well as the ARCA East race and that partnership with NASCAR. The focus, as, as we've been shifting over, over a couple years, back to the grassroots racing, all of it coming together in one package deal with Flow Racing, I think, has been a huge impact. And then I was familiar with it already because they did a lot of dirt racing coverage um, and still do um, through that. So it's a total package deal, uh, I think, a really good investment if you're a race fan. Absolutely, and uh, when you look at the amount of content that they offer, I was also able to watch, um, uh, I know I'm probably trying to steal some thunder here, but we've already talked about it on the radio show. Uh, I was also able to watch, uh, on the West Coast, there's the SRL Southwest Touring Series, and they uh, started a national series this year called SRL National. Well, they had their inaugural national event at Citrus County Speedway or Raceway, and uh, I was able to watch that race as well. Races that I typically don't get to see, uh, you can see on Flow Racing. So we really encourage fans to check it out. Yeah, I know you're leading into, I know, I don't know where your thoughts are at, but a couple of questions I want to talk to, to Brandon Paul, our guest, about. So I'm going to try and hold off on that because there's a couple of things there that uh, I want to get his response and let him talk about. But there's so much there. Uh, and some of the things that, that I'm, I want to ask him about, I, I'm really trying to hold off. I, I know we've got a couple minutes here if he hasn't called in yet, but uh, talk to him this afternoon. So excited to talk to him and that program that they have built um, with that. And I know, Sharon, you and I have talked about this as well as Mike and Andy and the rest of the uh, Fan for Racing crew of the streaming platform, you know, what, how it's changing racing and the uh, intake uh, of races. You mentioned it, races you may not get to see otherwise, obviously in person or anywhere else on coverage. So I think that's a huge factor, and I want to get his insight onto that. Yes. Yes, and, and actually, again, we'll talk about that on Hot Topics tonight as well, because Steve Phelps is already working on the TV rights uh, for the next uh, run, if you will, which is about eight to ten years. And I'll tell you, what that's one of the things they're looking at is who can provide that streaming service uh, for our race fans. So that's really good to hear. Well, and I know it's a separate one. We we, uh, we hit on this last year as they covered a couple races, and I don't think I put it up on the board for our hot topics yet, but USA, uh, you mentioned several of these replays going to be on USA as NBC Sports mm-hmm. Network has kind of cut back. Move some of theirs to the Peacock streaming, uh, so that still comes into play. But also USA now coming into play as far as uh, broadcasting some of this, which I think is a good thing, and we'll have to see how it plays out. Yes, yes. And Jamie Little, by the way, uh, from Fox, 
has been designated as the uh, to be in the broadcast booth uh, for these ARCA races. So she gives a lot of really great insight throughout the race. Uh, and it's really good to see her take that lead role uh, with these series. You're right. That was one we saw. We talk about progression of drivers, but progression of just like Brandon Paul, you mentioned uh, where he's been and, and where he's at now. Seeing Jamie Little, I, I remember when I first started watching, yeah, she was a pit reporter. Uh, to move up to the lead role for television for these races, uh, I think is a great, great thing all the way around. Again, for the entire sport, uh, you know, we talk about drivers, uh, minority drivers, females getting that chance uh, through different programs. To see Fox put her in the booth like that, I think was a great move. Okay, awesome, awesome. Uh, and... Uh... Let me just check here real quick. I want to make sure we bring Brandon into the queue. He's not here yet, but it is still early. He's still got another minute or so uh, to call in. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, uh, Jay, you were responsible for getting Brandon on the show here. I thought it was a great choice, uh, especially with this as a new platform for NASCAR uh, for this season. And uh, a lot of uh, fans, uh, may not know about flow sport racing, so this is going to be a great opportunity for us to really introduce this to fans that are tuning in tonight and on our podcast uh, to let them know about flow sport, flow racing, and how they can watch these races. Well, and I know when we talked about it last year, uh, w- when this announcement was made, and that they would pick, be picking up more coverage. Um, I think there were a couple here even on the, on the Fan for Racing crew that weren't as familiar with it. Like I mentioned, they have done a lot of dirt track racing over the past three to five years already, if not longer. And, and some of the announcers and pit reporters that, that I've worked with are part of that. Um, so to be able to bring that to the forefront, especially, I'd say, off a successful start here with the, the World Series of Asphalt Racing, at New Smyrna, yeah. which I, I know uh, Brandon was a part of. So um, to, to highlight that and, and w- have them come in and talk about what they got going, what's available in, in the whole package. Yes. And, uh, Jay, Brandon is here. If you want to go ahead and do the introductions and get started with the interview, that would be awesome. All right. Well, as uh, Sharon mentioned, there is senior editor at Flow Racing, Um Brandon Paul, I appreciate you coming on and, and being with us here tonight. Uh, I know 15-minute window, we got a lot to cover, so I'll get right to it. First off, talk about coming out of New Smyrna with that coverage. I know uh, when I reached out to you, you said you were a little wore out and beat down. Uh, just getting back home from that, you were down there to help cover that for Flow Racing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, I appreciate you inviting me on uh, to join the show tonight. But, yeah, it was uh, – it was certainly a busy time down in Florida. We also had a lot of uh, dirt racing down there that we do. Uh, we went over to Alltech Raceway for two days with the Short Track Super Series, the big block, small block modifieds over there. Uh, saw some good racing there. And then we uh, made our way over to New Smyrna Speedway for nine straight nights of racing. And we, uh, we mixed in a couple days over at the big track at Daytona covering the ARCA Racing Series opener, um, doing some content uh, for Flow Racing. And uh, overall, it was just a, a really busy, but uh, definitely a rewarding uh, rewarding week for Flow Racing. 
Well, that, that'll lead into my first question for you. How did this this package deal come together that that you put together with NASCAR to cover the Arkham Menards East and West as well as the Arkham Menards series to start with, and what what that adds to the content you already had? As I mentioned, I'm a big dirt track person, so I was familiar with the uh, program already. But putting this package together with NASCAR. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I don't. I can't speak on the the, the exact uh, what what made it come together. But what I can say is, it's definitely uh, definitely a big thing for uh, for motorsports. Uh, being able to have the ARCA Racing Series and uh, the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour and all of the NASCAR Weekly action joining the Flow Racing broadcast schedule, uh, which already includes a lot of the top. Uh, grassroots motorsports events, whether it be uh, USAC midgets, the all-star circuit of champion sprint cars, dirt late models, uh, being able to add the NASCAR roots package uh, to that offering is, is huge. Uh, I mean, especially for those already with a flow subscription, but also for those who, who are not familiar with flow racing, uh, who are going to come on board for the NASCAR content. And then they're also going to have their eyes open to a lot of other grassroots racing that's happening all across the country. Well, that, that leads to one more question here before I turn it over to Sharon, because I know she's got a couple to ask you. But with that, the focus on uh, grassroots program, I know NASCAR's kind of leaned towards that in the last couple of years. That's where you guys have been centralized already, whether it be dirt track or asphalt. Um, you mentioned a couple of them, the uh, Sprint Car Series. I know that Tony Stewart owns, uh, Circuit, of, uh, Circuit of Champions. What other ones can you highlight there uh, that you guys cover for fans to, to pick up on? Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned Tony Stewart's All-Star Circuit of Champions. Uh, that, is, that is one of our, our bigger Sprint Car Series that, that we broadcast. Uh, but then we also have the USAC Midgets. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm from Maine, so I'm a pavement guy. We do not have a single dirt track in the state of Maine. But since I, I've come on board with Flow Racing, my eyes have been opened up to open wheel midget, or the open wheel racing with the USAC midgets. And I have to say, like, that, is, that division and that brand of racing is quickly becoming one of my favorites to watch. Uh, I went out to indianapolis for the bc 39 the race uh, that honors brian clausen uh at the indianapolis motor speedway and that was one of the best races i've ever seen in person and then i followed it up uh, i went out to the chili bowl here this year for the first time and uh when you go see those races in person you really uh you really gain a lot of respect for those midget racers and, and what they do um so uh usac usac is a big deal um here on flow racing with the with the USAC midgets, the USAC sprint cars, the wingless sprint cars, and then also you have the USAC Silver Crown Series, uh, which is diverse in the fact that they race on both pavement and dirt. Um, so those are just a couple of those other series uh, to keep an eye on. Well, that is awesome. And I, I did say I was going to turn it over to Sharon. You, you hit on something else I want to address. I'm going to have to come back to it unless Sharon gets to it. <laughs> but I want to turn it over to Sharon uh, Burton here, the fan for racing uh, lead here, put this together for uh, – Sharon, I know you've been doing this a long time. I've only been a part of it for three or four years. But I'll turn it over to you for a couple of questions. Okay. Hi, Brandon, and thank you so much for being here tonight to chat with us. I appreciate it. I'm uh, glad to be joining you tonight. Okay. Well, I want to get into a little bit about uh, you 
as uh, kind of the the senior editor at Flow Sport Flow Racing. Uh, talk about are you a race fan yourself? Have you always been a race fan? Is that something that yeah, you've grown up with? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would say like I, I grew up with it, but uh in my teenage years and probably a little bit before that, um, like I mentioned, I'm from Maine, so um I grew up really close to a track called Oxford Plain Speedway, um, which hosts the uh annual Oxford two fifty, one of the biggest pavement late model races in the country. Um and I grew up going there and I, I would go in the stands and, and watch races and my grandfather worked at a Dodge dealership, so I would go there and um, they would have Dodge dealer nights where I'd be able to, to go down to victory lane and hand out trophies or ride in the pace car and, and all of that fun stuff. And, um, really that's where it started. And then, uh, as I grew older, um, my mother's boyfriend raced a four cylinder car. So I started going in the pit area and helping him out, working on the car, uh, went off to college and then an opportunity popped out, uh, popped up where, um, I started working for uh, Speed 51, uh, what was formerly known as Speed 51, and uh, I did that for eight years, uh, eight years before coming over to Flow Racing. So, um, so yes, and to answer your question, I'm, I'm definitely a big race fan, and uh, sometimes, obviously, when I'm not working, I still go to the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things that once it's, once it's in your blood, it's there for good, right? And uh, you can't get yes. enough racing. Okay, so what, how, how did this door open for you at Flow Sports uh, and Flow Racing? Is it something that they contacted you, or did you contact them? Yeah, they, they, uh, they reached out, and it was I, I kind of had obviously been keeping an eye on Flow um, throughout the past couple of years and, and saw the opportunity that um, – that, that they had and, and that they were a growing company. Um, the, the cool thing with Flow Racing, too, that a lot of people may not know is that they have over 25 verticals, 25 different sports that they cover yeah. beyond just motor, beyond just motorsports. And, and I, I'm not involved with, with any of the other sports because racing is just so large with 1,800-plus live events. We have plenty on our plate to handle with just racing. But, but the cool thing is with a Flow Racing subscription, you get to watch all these other sports, um, flow, flow football. Uh, they, they do college football, flow hockey. So like minor league hockey. Uh, I mean, they have everything from wrestling to grappling, to cheerleading, to cycling. Um, so I really, I, I saw the direction of the company and it is a, a company that is growing very quickly, uh, in a good way. Um, and I definitely wanted to be a part of that. Okay. And uh, I've had the opportunity to watch you. I'm new to Flow Racing, so uh, I did not have it before, but I did sign up with it uh, for the ARCA Racing coverage. Uh, And and, uh, I've had an opportunity to watch you at Nisperna and uh, uh, the ARCA East Race and the asphalt uh, racing that took place at uh, Nisperna Speedway. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I like I like your uh, approach and your interviews with the drivers and everything that you did. So uh, thank you for all that you do there. Yeah, I appreciate that. And what we try to do in, in like in our content department is is really supplement the live broadcast. Obviously, for for the most part, people when they subscribe to Flow Racing, they're subscribing to 
to get the live broadcast, to watch the race live. But what we do and, and what I'm, I'm very involved with is trying to supplement that with, with content that, that helps enhance the experience with those interviews, the behind-the-scenes stories, and, and kind of following along with, along with the big storylines entering each event and after the, each event. Um, so that's really what we try to do, whether it be through videos, uh, we have a, a staff that, that writes articles and news and, and all of that stuff. So uh, what, what we do is try to complement that. And uh, I think we, uh, we hopefully we uh, did, did everything well down there at New Smyrna. You absolutely did. And, again, thanks for being here. I'm going to pass it back to Jay uh, so he can kind of uh, ask him maybe a couple other questions and do his follow-up here. Well, I know I know we're coming close to the end, but yeah, there are a couple more things here. Uh, one, I think we're becoming best friends. You mentioned Dodge, and I'm sure as you noticed by the uh, the email when I contacted you, big Dodge fan myself. So uh, that's a big <laughs> plus. <laughs> um, one of one of the things you mentioned it. You said uh, in your case, not having dirt tracks in the area uh, up in Maine, but as you became a part of Flow Racing and seeing it and becoming involved in it that expansion and i know we talk about this all the time you have some fans that are fans of racing period some that are asphalt only or some that are dirt only how do you think that your package and what you bring brings that together kind of bridge that gap if you will i think it does a, i think it does a great job of that because what what i've seen and i've talked to to people here over the last six months or so since i've really since i've been involved with flow and what you see happen is you may have somebody who subscribes to watch a, a pavement race, let's say an ARCA race, for example. But then on a Tuesday night, there's a, a USAC midget race going on somewhere in the middle of Indiana that they would otherwise not know about. But if you have the subscription, you've already paid for it. And we all know sometimes there's, there's absolutely nothing to watch on, on your regular television cable package. You flip it on over to the Flow Racing app, and you have racing there. And, and once you watch that, and you, you kind of fall in love with it. And I think you're going to see more and more of that crossover um, between pavement and dirt. Um, I know, like you mentioned, each one of those pavement and dirt fans are both very sort of, I guess you could say, like territorial in the fact that pavement people like pavement, dirt people like dirt. But uh, I think there's an, an opportunity to really continue growing that and to have, uh, to have dirt fans watch pavement racing too. I, I saw some comments after New Smyrna where people with a Flow Racing subscription said, hey, I'm not a huge pavement fan. I'm not a huge NASCAR fan, but I watched and, and I enjoyed the, the tour-type modifieds or I enjoyed the NASCAR wheel and modified tour or the super late models that were racing on pavement at New Smyrna. Um, so I think having that, that wide and diverse offering, um, and, and we're just talking about circle track racing, slow racing right now. Uh, if you turn on your app, we have a big uh, drag racing event happening in Georgia, the, the Lights Out 13. Uh, we've had snowmobile racing throughout the year. Um, so we have snowcross this year. There's just so many different things that, that fans are able to experience that they might otherwise not. Well, that's a, that's a great, and that's one of the things I really like about that. And then my final question here is we got to wrap up, though, is I believe you have a couple of tracks, if you want to talk about that, are going to be doing weekly coverage for the track. And the reason I ask about that is I know some tracks are kind of against the streaming thing, 
but I also see benefits for it. And I want to see what your guys' plan with that as far as the benefit of having the weekly programming from a particular track. Yeah, I think it's kind of the same thing I, I just alluded to where, um, where you're going to have fans who are going to uh, become aware of racetracks and, and events that they otherwise wouldn't be aware of uh, because they're live on flow racing. So, for example, let's say – uh, it's a big super late model race out at Berlin Raceway or uh, something out in the state of Washington at a, at a racetrack out there or wherever it may be. Um, by having that live on flow racing, you're, you're opening up and, and displaying that product to a, a large audience that otherwise wouldn't be aware of your product. And, and then you see, oftentimes you see fans will say, wow, I really – I really like this racetrack and guess what? Maybe they're on a business trip or maybe they're on a vacation wherever this track is. And they realize it's only 30 minutes down the road. Well, they're going to go there and they're going to buy a ticket and they're going to buy food and they're going to, to spend some entertainment money uh, in order to go watch racing at that racetrack. So I think overall uh, it's a big win for everyone. I think we really saw through COVID that, that it's not keeping people, who would be going to the racetrack uh, away from the racetrack. That's always been a fear of some promoters. Uh, but I think we're really starting to see what, what streaming does is it's not cutting down your ticket sales. It's just increasing the exposure and awareness for, for your product. Okay. I, okay. I think, I think we can make it official. We're best friends. Cause yeah, I hope that some <laughs> other uh, track promoters and owners that, uh, that I've worked with and dealt with uh, are listening and understand that, that, uh, there are benefits to it. So uh, as we uh, wrap I this think, up and again, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think more and more tracks are, are coming around on it. Just in my experience over the past few years there, the number used to be quite larger as far as the amount of promoters who were hesitant to stream races live. And I think we're, they're starting to realize that, that it's not as bad as they thought it might once be um and that's really turning people around and you're seeing more and more short track racing uh streamed which i think ultimately is a good thing for for everybody from the racers to the tracks to the fans uh to everybody involved yeah i i'm with you on that so uh Normally, at uh, this point, uh, as we wrap up, uh, we give drivers a chance for sponsor shout-outs. Uh, anybody you want to thank or shout-outs you want to give, some upcoming things that uh, encourage fans to get, get involved in, and subscribe to Flow Racing, uh, things they might see coming up. Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, if you're a pavement fan, uh, we're, we're going to continue ramping it up here with, with some of the NASCAR weekly stuff. Uh, we have ARCA. Uh, the, our, our first ARCA Menard Series event coming up at Phoenix. Uh, obviously, the opener was on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Flow Racing will have 11 of those ARCA Menard Series races live this year. Um, and then we'll have the ARCA Menard Series East and ARCA Menard Series West. Um, the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour is going to, uh, I think, be extremely popular, especially for those who may not have witnessed NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour racing before. Uh, if you watched it at New Smyrna, you kind of got a glimpse of of what we're going to have there. Uh, they head to Richmond, I think it's on April 1st. Um, so, but there's always something on flow for the most part, whether it's a Monday, a Tuesday, a Saturday, a Sunday, whatever it may be. You can usually uh, 
flick on your, your flow racing app and watch something, uh, whether it's a drag race, a dirt race, a pavement race, or whatever it may be. All right. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. Again, senior editor for flow racing, uh, covering the Arc Menard series. And, and I mentioned it sports, but specifically so much racing you can get. We appreciate the time and you coming on here and being a part of it. And I'm going to email you. I got some other things I want to get with you on, uh, down the road maybe, and we can do something together again. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to reach out. I enjoyed it, and uh, have a good rest of your show. All right. Thank you. And, Sharon, I'll turn it back over to you. I think we're going to kick into the truck series right here. Yes, indeed. We're going to move on to uh, a few updates from the uh, Camping World Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend. Um but uh, I don't think they're racing. Yeah, they're not racing this weekend. Uh, they are going to be racing the Pretoria's Voice 200 presented by Westgate Resorts at Las Vegas Motor Speedway Friday, March the 4th. So uh, we will be doing some uh, updates here today, but we'll give you more of the details. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek was last year's race winner, uh, but this year uh, – We'll give you some updates as uh, they're not racing this weekend. We'll tell you, we'll give you updates as to what what happened most recently. Okay, I'm not sure oh, what sorry. happened to not, Jay. My phone, went, my phone was acting up. I fixed it. Um, okay. With the Camping World Truck Series, we were just talking about Arkham and Ard Series, and that's become a proving ground for, uh, especially at Daytona, top finishers. And Zane Smith, your winner at Daytona, a shining example uh, as he came from the Arkham Menard Series platform, uh, picking up four career wins uh, in the series, as well as the closest ever finish. And then you also had the trucks that were coming from Daytona in the finish, Ben Rhodes, Christian Eckes, Tanner Gray, and Parker Kligerman, all that have wins on the Arca platform. So you see where this developmental series and the partnership is just growing and what it's producing at NASCAR's top three level. Absolutely. In fact, there's quite a few that are racing for Sonoma Rookie of the Year. And a lot of those rookies learned a lot at Daytona. It was really a tough outing, though, uh, for the Camping World Truck Series rookie program uh, at that season opener. Uh, None of the five rookies actually finished the event. But Lawless Allen had the best finish of the rookie class with a 25th place finish after being involved in an accident in overtime. So he came close to getting it done. Allen is now tied in the standings with Corey Heim, who finished 32nd because of an incident, at 12 points each. Uh, So they're actually tied at the top of that list. Allen holds the tiebreaker with his better finish at Daytona. Now the remaining rookies to make the race uh, Blaine Perkins finished 31st, Jack Wood in 33rd, Dean Thompson in 36th, but all finished outside the top 30 at Daytona. Uh, but as you guys can imagine, racing, a lot of these drivers aren't used to racing on a super speedway. So there's a lot to learn, and I think uh, these guys probably learned a lot at Daytona uh, throughout the uh, event. Uh, Blaine Perkins has the six points. Uh, Jack Wood at four, and Dean Thompson with one. And as we mentioned earlier, Wallace Allen and Corey Heim tied at the top with 12 points. All right. Well, then we look at uh, Ben Rhodes. We talked about this with Sammy Smith for the ARCA East. Defending champion Ben Rhodes, hot start in 2020. 
if he looks to go for back-to-back titles in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, it's only been accomplished once, as Matt Crafton did it in 2013 and 14, and that's since the inception in 1995. Ben Rhodes, though, uh, with his runner-up finishing the Truck Series race at Daytona, looking to do the same, and he heads into some into Las Vegas uh, with some confidence to continue that hot start. He's made 10 starts there with one win in 2017, four top fives and seven top tens. So look for Ben Rhodes to uh, come out strong here for in defense of his championship. Yeah, he finished uh, second there last year, so uh, I think he will continue to be strong. Uh, Front Rose Motorsports, Zane Smith jumps out front in the season opening win at Daytona. It was a big day for Zane Smith uh, in that next uh, next era Energy 250. Uh, it was a pretty tame event until uh, the, at the finish when the white flag dropped and then all chaos erupted. Uh, Zane Smith was holding off a hard-charging field advancing to the finish line when just before crossing the line you take the white flag, a caution came out. Uh, It forced the 100-lap event into an overtime session, and Smith eventually held on to win the first race of the 2022 season at Daytona. It was his first victory at the historic track and the first with his new organization, Front Row Motorsports, and that number 38-14. The win also catapulted to Zane Smith to the top of the Truck Series driver standings. He's just two points ahead of the second-place driver, Ben Rhodes. Now, Smith's victory also made Front Row Motorsports just the second team in series history to win the season-opening Camping World Truck Series race, Zane Smith in 2022, and the Daytona 500, Michael McDowell, in 2021. They joined Roush Fenway Kazlowski Racing as the other team that was able to accomplish that feat. Next week, the Truck Series competitors are going to battle it out, as we mentioned before, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, so make sure to tune in uh, for all of the action next weekend when the Truck Series gets back to uh, the track. They will have practice at 4.30 p.m. with qualifying right afterward at 5 p.m. on Friday, March 4th. And then, of course, later that night, uh, they will have the race, and that should take place sometime around 9 p.m. Eastern time, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So, uh, again, we'll, we'll get into more of the details about this race next week. Uh, but what a victory for uh, Zane Smith, Jay. Two two sides to that for for Zane Smith himself, um, ending last year not knowing even where he was going to be. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I heard rumor that he was supposed to go to Chip Ganassi Racing. Well, when they sold out, that shifted a little bit. And then Front Row Motorsports, having Todd Dillon in the truck and being a championship contender, him moving up to the Cup Series, putting a driver like Zane Smith in, coming out, winning right out the gate, and being in championship contention again um, as they build that truck program in partnership with DGR. Uh, two huge stories there, and I think a, a very feel-good moments for teams and drivers on the rise. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Zane Smith uh, has – we've watched him race in the ARCA West and in the ARCA East, and, um, you know, it was the Canon Pro Series, 
Uh, and then in the Arkham and Art Series, he had a few races there, and now to see him in the Cup and doing so well to start off this season, I think is fantastic for him. And uh, you bring up some really good points there uh, with regard to Zane Smith and the accomplishment uh, that he has uh, with that. Let's go ahead and get into the NASCAR Xfinity Series because I know uh, they're going to be racing this weekend out at Fontana, uh, also known as Auto Club Speedway. Uh, they'll be racing the Production Alliance 300 on Saturday, February the 26th uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse for this race is $1,618,853. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 4.30 p.m. with the pre-race coverage, and radio coverage will also be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing 150 laps. They'll cover a distance of 300 miles uh, with the first two laps at 35 laps each. uh, Stage 1 will end on 70, and, of course, the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 150. Last year, the race winner... Uh, for this particular event um, was actually in 2020. It's been, uh, they did not race there last year with the COVID situation, uh, but Harrison Burton is the defending winner of that race. All right. Well, this may sound like I'm repeating myself, but it is a, as it pertains to the Xfinity Series as well, it's a proving ground for Arkham Menard Series drivers with the top finishers from Daytona. Your NASCAR Xfinity Series winner, uh, Austin Hill, another driver who worked his way up to the biggest stage by virtue of success in that Arkham Menard Series platform. Hill has had five career East Series wins and finished a career best third in the standings in 2015. Four of the top five, Hill, uh, third place Noah Gregson, fourth place Riley Herbst, and fifth place Justin Algar have all picked up wins in the ARCA platform. When we look at okay. two more, that'll be – oh, whoop, I missed a section. Go ahead if you want to talk about Cole Custer and Grala. Right. I was going to say we should also mention that two NASCAR Cup Series drivers, uh, Cole Custer and Kaz Grala, are uh, going to be racing the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series uh, this year. So uh, Custer will be in the number 07 Access Greenlight Racing Ford, and Growler will be in the number 45 for Alpha Prime Racing and their Chevrolet. Custer is the only previous uh, Auto Club winner. He won at uh, 2019, uh, and he is, of course, in that event this year, so look out for him. Growler has made one Xfinity start at Auto Club Speedway in 2018. In that race, he started 12th and finished 14th. So uh, pretty cool uh, to see Kaz Growler and Cole Custer racing the Xfinity Series. We'll talk about seeing cool drivers in the series. And Auto Club, I know they've been touting this. we got a former Daytona 500 winner as Trevor Bain returns to the Xfinity Series. He's set to make his NASCAR Xfinity Series return as he signed with Joe Gibbs Racing for select races in 2022. He's age 30. He'll be behind the number 18 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota this year for seven starts. He's a former uh, Wood Brothers Racing number 21 Ford driver, He'll make his first start here at Auto Club Speedway this weekend, and he's also scheduled to pilot the 2021 title-winning number 18 at Phoenix Raceway on March 12th, Charlotte Motor Speedway on May 28th, 
Nashville Speedway on June 25th, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, that'll be July 16th, Las Vegas Motor Speedway on October 15th, and then Homestead, Miami a Speedway on October 22nd. And it'll be Jason Ratcliffe serving as his crew chief for Bain and that number 18 team. Very cool to see Trevor coming back into racing. Uh, we've watched him on Race Hub a few times as well. Uh, how did the Sunoco rookies do uh, in the Xfinity Series? Well, uh, one of them won the race at Daytona last weekend to open the season. Richard Childress Racing, Austin Hill, is leading the Rookie of the Year standings with 47 points. But not far behind him is Sheldon Creed, his teammate at RCR, in second place. He's just 16 points back. Back, uh, He finished sixth place at Daytona and racked up 31 points uh, for his uh, effort. In third place is Jesse Awuji, who tallied 10 points and finished uh, Beef, it's what's for dinner, 327th place. Those three drivers will be back for the race at, at uh, Auto Club Speedway. Uh, Creed and Uwuji will be making their track debuts at Auto Club. Hill made his series track debut back in 2020 with Hattori Racing Enterprise when he started 15th and finished in 16th place. So we'll see what they do this weekend. Well, and it's all about history at Auto Club Speedway. Uh, they held their inaugural Xfinity Series race in 1997, where fans saw Todd Bodine take the win. This is a two-mile D-shaped track, which has held a total of 31 Xfinity Series races. We've had 18 different winners. Uh, as a lot of times, Kyle Busch leads there. He's got six wins. Matt Kenseth has four wins. And both Joey Logano and Greg Biffle are tied with three. Harrison Burton with Joe Gibbs Racing was the most recent winner, uh, having led a total of 40 laps. Riley Herb finished second in 2020, followed by Austin Sindrick, Ryan Sieg, and Justin Haley to complete the top five. Now, Sharon mentioned Cole Custer, the only returning winner uh, to be racing this weekend, so we're going to have some history made yet this weekend. Yes, indeed. Okay, now uh, we mentioned that last year, uh, the Xfinity Series did not race at Auto Club Speedway because of the COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, so this weekend is going to be the 32nd running of the Xfinity Series at Auto Club. The previous 31 races produced 21 different pole winners and 18 different race winners. Joy Logano leads the Xfinity Series in poles at Auto Club Speedway with four, 2009, 10, 12, and 13. Only one former Xfinity Series pole winner at Auto Club is entered this weekend, and that's Brandon Jones. Jones, he won the pole the last time they raced there in 2020. Bush leads the Xfinity Series and wins at Auto Club Speedway with six victories in 2008, 9, 10. He had a sweep 2011 and 2013. Cole Custer won that 2019 race, and as we've mentioned a couple times already, He's the only Xfinity Series former uh, winner that's entered this weekend. Harrison Burton is the most recent winner, winner uh, taking that win in 2020. Again, practice will be held on Saturday, February the 26th at 9 a.m., followed by qualifying at 9.30. The race begins at 5 p.m. Eastern on the 26th. That's this Saturday. On NBC Sports Network, MRN, and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. So make sure to check the schedule 
for any changes or updated times. Yeah, that's always a good idea as a race fan to check that schedule. All right. Well, looking at the Richard Childress Racings, it's Austin Hill mentioned your race winner doing it again at Daytona. Now driving for Richard Childress Racing, he posted his first NASCAR Xfinity Series victory this past weekend at Daytona, but no stranger to winning at the iconic Super Speedway. He also posted a win in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series season opener in 2019, and now is one of four drivers to win both the Xfinity and Truck Series races at Daytona, joining uh, Kyle Busch, uh, Tyler Reddick, and also Mike Wallace. Uh, Hill led for four times during 23 laps, second only to 38 of last year's Xfinity Series champ, Daniel Hemrick. Uh, Hemrick ended up finishing the beef, it's what's for dinner, 328th after falling victim to an incident on lap nine. And it appears joining in the new team, uh, Austin Hill brings some luck. Back in 2019, when he won that NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Daytona, he had just had uh, just joined sorry, Hattori Racing Enterprises. That season, he went on to post four wins, seven top fives, and 13 top tens in the truck series. Now Hill has, become, has the opportunity to become the fir- fourth different driver to win the first two races of the year to start an Xfinity Series race. And in that list, he would join Tony Stewart, uh, who did it in 2008 when it was Daytona and Auto Club, as it is now, Chad Little in 1995, and then it was Daytona and Rockingham, as well as Dale Earnhardt in 1986, where it was also Daytona and Rockingham. Coming in a close second, though, A.J. Allmendinger, who finished runner-up in the beef It's What's for Dinner 300 for the second year in a row. Uh, If you haven't seen his interview, you want to catch it. Uh, Those those kind of finishes sting for sure. Uh, Not not far behind Noah Gregson, or not far behind there, was Noah Gregson, Riley Herbst, and Justin Algar, as I mentioned, to round out the top five. Now Austin Hill finds himself second in the Xfinity Series driver standing uh, points, just four back from A.J. Almendinger with Colleague Racing as they head into Auto Club Speedway this weekend. Both drivers have made one series start at ACS. Almendinger made his series debut there in 2007 for Chip Ganassi Racing, where he started 18th and finished 36th due to an incident. Now, Hill, a Winston, Georgia native, made his series track debut at Auto Club in 2020, driving for Hattori Racing Enterprises, where he started 15th and finished 16th. Yes, it was really cool to see him win as a rookie in on one of NASCAR's biggest stages at uh, the World Center of Racing Daytona. So, uh, and as I mentioned, there are actually two rookies uh, that won last weekend at Daytona. Uh, Austin Sindrick uh, won uh, also in the uh, Cup Series as a rookie. And it doesn't get any better than that to be able to uh, beat everybody on the track at Daytona. Well, and I, and I didn't realize looking at this, some of the history it threw out there of in the event he moves up to the Cup Series, if he could win the Daytona 500, 
be a driver to win all three of the opening races at Daytona throughout mm-hmm. his career would be a spectacular <laughs> accomplishment. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on to the uh, Cup Series. Uh, they're going to be racing also at Auto Club Speedway this weekend in the Wise Power 400. They'll be racing on Sunday, February the 27th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and it's a big purse, $8,035,061. It will be televised on Fox at 3 p.m. Eastern, and uh, radio coverage is also available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 200 laps and covering a distance of 400 miles. Uh, the first two stages are uh, 65 laps, so stage one ends on lap 65, stage two on lap 130, and then the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 200 for 70 laps. Uh, The race winner in 2020, the last time they visited the track, was Alex Bowman. So it will be interesting to see what he does this weekend. Well, and we can let the games begin as we got – Three billion people calling themselves gamers as NASCAR continues to collaborate with some of the most popular games and creators, in addition to hosting its own various e-NASCAR initiatives throughout the season. Uh, Phasey Clans arrives at Auto Club Speedway after getting their first taste of NASCAR racing at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, one of the most world's most influential gaming organizations. Phasey Clan created content from the Bushlight Clash and introduced a Phasey Clan X NASCAR merch collection to their global fan base earlier this month. And now they're back for more, and this time they have company. Uh, Motorsports lifestyle brand Hoonigan uh, will also be on site with four vehicles from the ever-popular racing game series Forza. The Halo Warthog, Donk, Camaro and Rolls will participate in race day activities after showing off their Hot Wheels at the eNASCAR Arcade throughout the weekend. Uh, fans are invited to check out the Phasey Clan and Hoonigan at the eNASCAR Arcade, where they can also post the fastest lap on four NASCAR iRacing simulators or compete in the NASCAR 21 Ignition and Mario Kart. Okay, I thought that tonight, too, is the inaugural car races on iRacing for uh, the college series. So NASCAR is uh, getting college students involved with uh, iRacing, and uh, I'm curious to find out how that goes tonight as well. Okay, Collective Soul pre-race concert is set for the Wise Power 400 at Auto Club Speedway. They will perform a 60-minute concert in the O'Reilly Auto Parts Pan Zone. Uh, the iconic band's performance will run up to the fans and uh, will be one of the musical highlights at the track's 25th anniversary celebration, a sonic bridge to the track's 1990 roots. So uh, that's going to be fun to see. Uh, Collective Soul burst onto the scene in 1993 with their landmark debut, Hints, Allegations, and Things Left Unsaid. Uh, and from there, they've taken... Uh, they haven't taken their foothawk gates all over their radar, uh, producing music that seeded itself into the souls of millions, including the unforgettable hits like Shine, December, and The World I Know. 
Moreover, the Georgia band refuses to rest on its laurels. They continue to produce new music, perform dynamic shows. Uh, with the 2019 album Blood launching the band on a fresh musical trajectory. And now E. Rowland, who does vocals and guitar for the group, Dean Rowland, the rhythm guitar, and Jesse Triplett, the lead guitar and background vocals, Will Trumpin is on, uh, Turpin is on bass and background vocals, and Johnny Ram. Uh, has does the drums in the background vocals. They're ready to make the first live Southern California appearance in nearly three years. So that's pretty cool. Uh, a lot of uh, entertainment out there at Auto Club Speedway. Well, and we got RV. Whoops, scroll back up. RV and Go uh, becomes the official RV rental partner of Auto Club Speedway. They announced last week that RV Endo is the official RV rental partner Auto Club Speedway, and it comes as NASCAR returns to the two-mile oval here on February 26 and 27. Uh, RV Endo RV, RV rentals are available from the 21st through the 27th um, for the Wise Power 400 NASCAR Cup Series race. And they make it an easy way for fans to enjoy the at-track camping experience by connecting existing RV owners with renters who want to camp in an RV on race weekend. The company's free online rental and series platform eliminates non-value added service fees or hidden fees between owners and renters. And through this new partnership, RV and Go creates new turnkey package for fans to experience future events at the track. So a good partnership there with an RV if you're looking to camp for the weekend. Yes, indeed. Now, Auto College Speedway also announced this week that Nina Strauss is performing the national anthem uh, for the truck series race. She'll also shred on her guitar during the driver introductions, delivering the same sonic energy to NASCAR fans that she usually delivers to the fans of the Los Angeles Rams every week as uh, the in-house guitarist at SoFi Stadium. Uh, Strauss is a modern guitar virtuoso par excellence. Uh, Although the Los Angeles native rose to fame as the lead guitarist for Alice Cooper's band, her work as a solo, solo artist includes some of the best music ever produced on the instrument. Her 2018 album, Controlled Chaos, put her atop the Billboard charts as the number one top new artist. Furthering her reputation has led to countless industry endorsements, endorsements and critical acclaim. All right. Well, we're going to do this next part. one one by one. Okay. Uh, new program they got here, uh, featured matchups for the NASCAR 2022 season. And this one for the Wise Power 400 at Auto Club Speedway. First one we're going to look at will be the number two of Austin Sindrick versus the number 12 of Ryan Blaney. Uh, these two team, ten, team Penske teammates were the story of last Sunday's Daytona 500 as they dueled fiercely for the win on the final lap after working in the draft all race together, all race long. Uh, rookie Sindrick ultimately coming out on top. Now, Blaney had a standout performance last time the series visited Auto Club Speedway in 2020, where he posted the second highest driver rating of the day at 112.8, leading 54 of the 200 laps. 
Next up is William Byron in the number 24 and the number 48 of Alex Bowman. Byron and Bowman, both Hendrick Motorsports teammates, have have been evenly matched at intermediate-style tracks since 2019, with Bowman edging Byron just slightly in average finish. Uh, Bowman has the 13.11 to Bowman's, I'm sorry, to Byron's 14.453, so Bowman is at 13.11. They're dead even in the intermediate track driver rating over the same span at 91.4. Bowman is the most recent cup winner at Auto Club, winning in 2020 uh, in pretty dominant fashion. Bowman also won four races in 2021, including a mid-season victory at Pocono Raceway, which is also another intermediate circuit on the schedule. And then we move on to the number 14 at Chase Briscoe and the number 23 of Bubba Wallace. Uh, this matchup pits the second uh, of Wallace and the third of Briscoe place drivers from Sunday's Daytona 500 against each other. The two drivers enter the 2022 season with similar stance and similar expectations surrounding their teams. Wallace posted a 19.7 average finish in 2021, while Briscoe was a smidge better with 19.6. Uh, both drivers, though, race for well-funded teams, as Briscoe's with Stuart Haas Racing and Wallace with the 2311 Racing, and they're looking to take that step forward in the 2022 season. Okay, and our final duo here is the number 43 of Eric Jones and the number 99 of Daniel Suarez. A mid-tier battle wraps up the featured matchup slate at Auto Club featuring drivers who practiced, who placed. 24th, that was Jones, and 25th, who was Suarez in points last season. Uh, the next-gen car was designed with the goal of producing more comparative, competitive parity across the Cup Series landscape, making the matchup especially intriguing as it features two drivers who race for teams that have made big investments in capital improvements with the next-gen car in mind. Now, Soros races for Trackhouse, who purchased the assets of Chip Ganassi Racing at the end of 21, with an eye on making a big splash with the next-gen platform. Jones Petty GMS Motorsports a new team that resulted from the merger of Jones Old Petty Motorsports, Richard Petty Motorsports Group, and the standout truck series team, GMS Racing. The new ownership group uh, rebuilt the team with an eye on being more competitive in this next-gen era. So a lot to look forward to with those matchups uh, going into Auto Club this weekend. Well, one more time, we're going to talk about the ARCA as they build champions. If you look at the final running order from Sunday's Daytona 500, you once again see the ARCA Menard Series living up to the tagline, We Build Champions. The top four finishers in the race have all had wins within the ARCA Menard Series platform. you got Daytona 500 champion Austin Sindrick, uh, won at Kentucky in 2016, and scored two road course wins in the Arkham Menard Series East uh, that season at Virginia International Raceway and Watkins Glen International. Runner-up Bubba Wallace has six career East wins between 2010 and 12. Third-place finish Chase Briscoe. He was the 2016 Arkham Menard Series champion uh, with six career wins all in his championship season. 
and then one additional ARCA Menard Series West victory coming last year at Sonoma Raceway. In fourth place finisher, uh, Blaney, he won the ARCA Menard Series West at Phoenix Raceway in 2011. So we talked about that. That includes uh, Zane Smith from the Truck Series as well as the Xfinity Series race, Austin Hill. Uh, a lot of ties to this Arkham Menard series. Yes, indeed. Now, there's going to be a new practice and qualifying format to begin this weekend at Auto Club Speedway, uh, which is kind of a knockout-style qualifying format. Uh, for most of the Cup Series schedule, the field will be split into two groups and participate in practice and qualifying events that will last approximately two hours. The two-hour window will allow broadcast pounders ample time and the ability to cover the entire field, bringing a wide-ranging in-depth stories and insight to millions of fans every weekend. But during six of the Cup Series weekends, five NASCAR Xfinity Race weekends, and eight Camping World Truck Series weekends, NASCAR is implementing an extended practice weekend schedule that features one standalone 50-minute practice as well as a qualifying event. So here's the format for the NASCAR Cup Series this season. Group A and B will each receive 15 minutes of practice in the group set by the metric score ranking. Qualifying round one for group A is single car, one lap. The top five will transfer into the final round. The qualifying round group B uh, will be again be single car, one lap. And again, the top five are going to transfer into the final round. Qualifying on the final round are 10 cars uh, for a single car one lap uh two laps at bristol dover martinsville and richmond that will determine the top 10 as well as the pole sitter at super speedways qualifying round one will include all the cars a single car one lap uh format the top 10 transfer to the final round very similar to what we saw at daytona this past weekend then that final round of 10 cars do the single car qualifying one lap to determine the starting lineup of those top 10. On road courses, Group A and Group B will each receive 20 minutes of practice uh, with qualifying round one Group A getting a 15-minute time session, the top five transfer to the final round. Uh, Same thing for Group B, that session with the top five going to the final round. And then the qualifying final round are those 10 cars in a 10-minute timed session. So uh, a little bit of a shake-up in how we do qualifying there, Jay. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and they put a lot of time and thought in, into this. I think uh, I see a lot of good things. We'll see how they all play out. Maybe some adjustments will be made. But I kind of like the way they have that laid out. Now, Kyle Busch, when it comes to Auto Club Speedway, uh, is miles ahead of the competition. When you look through the NASCAR Cup Series statistics for ACS, one active driver, that being Kyle Busch from Joe Gibbs Racing, jumps out from the rest. The Las Vegas native leads in wins uh, at Auto Club among active active drivers with four victories, coming in 05, 13, 14, and 19, and one of only two drivers to win consecutive Cup Series races at Auto Club. That includes himself uh, in 13 and 14, and then Jimmy Johnson in 2009 and 10. But his statistical dominance doesn't end there. He's among that. Among active drivers, he leads the series in top fives at 11, top tens at 16, 
Laps led at 807 out of 4,899 completed, which is 16%. Heading into this weekend, he's also the series leader in the several key loop data pre-race categories. Average finish is 8.905, which is series best. Average running possession, average running position, 8.169, which is series best. Driver rating, 111.4, series best. Uh, 372 fastest laps run is series best. And then 3,962 laps in the top 15, which is 84.4%, also the series most. And lastly, 1,107 quality passes, also the series most. Uh, He's one of three drivers that have won at Auto Club Speedway and the NASCAR Cup Series Championship in the same season. He uh, is on the list with Jeff Gordon in 97, Jimmy Johnson in 07, 8, 9, 10, and 16, and then Kyle Busch did it himself in 2019. He'll be making his 23rd career Cup Series start at Auto Club Speedway this weekend. Okay, well, the season opening Daytona 500 ended in overtime, and it was a wild finish uh, that left Tim Pinsky's uh, rookie, Austin Sendrick, uh, and he's actually tied at the top of the series point standings with RK Racing's Brad Keselowski. They both have 54 points, but because Sendrick won that race, he breaks the tiebreaker and is at the top of the standing. Now, Cindric's win also locks him into the playoffs, uh, and the Rising Star is now tasked with becoming the sixth different driver to win both the Daytona 500 and the championship in the same season. If he's able to do that, he would join Lee Petty, who did it in 59. Richard Petty did it four times in 64, 71, 74, and 79. Kale Yarborough in 77, and Jeff Gordon in 97, along with Jimmy Johnson, who did it in 2006 and 13. Now, if Cedric accomplishes that, he would be the first rookie to do that. So, pretty cool for Austin Cedric. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that of rookie Austin Cedric starting off the 2022 season with a big win. Driving for Team Penske, He kicked the door down in his rookie season with that massive victory in the season opener Daytona 500 at Daytona International Speedway. Uh, With that victory, the first rookie to win the prestigious event and the ninth different driver to win in his first NASCAR Cup Series race in the Daytona 500, joining Tiny Lund in 63, Mario Andretti 67, Pete Hamilton in 70, Derek Cope in 90, Sterling Marlin in 94, Michael Raltrip in 2011, and then Trevor Bain in 2011, and Michael McDowell in 2021. He's also the second youngest uh, winner of the Daytona 500 at 23 years, 5 months, and 18 days, as he was behind Trevor Bain, who won at the age of 20. Now, Cindric looks to join Matt Kenseth uh, from 2009 at Daytona Auto Club, Jeff Gordon in 97, Daytona Rockingham, David Pearson in 76 of Riverside in Daytona, Bobby Wellborn in 1959, uh, champion at, in Daytona, and Marvin Ponch in 57 of Lancaster and Concord as the fifth different driver to win back-to-back wins to start a season. And this will be a series track debut at Auto Club Speedway, but the 23-year-old has three Xfinity Series starts at the two-mile track, posting a best finish of third coming in 2020. 
Okay. We mentioned several times that we didn't race at Auto Club Speedway last year because of the pandemic, uh, but this year they're back. And 31 previous Cup Series races have produced 20 different pole winners and 18 different race winners. 23-11's racing Kurt Busch leads the Cup Series in poles at Auto Club with four in 2015-7 and a 2006 sweep. And no, Joe Nemechek won the inaugural Cup Series pole at Auto Club in 97 with a speed of 183.015 miles per hour in 39.341 seconds. Active pole winners that are going to be racing this weekend include Kurt Busch with his four, Denny Hamlin with three, Austin Dillon has two, and then Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Busch all have one. Kyle Busch leads the Cup Series and wins at Auto Club with four victories in 2005, 13, 14, and 19. And seven of the 18 Cup Series race winners at Auto Club are, again, active this weekend. In addition to Kyle Busch, there's uh, the remaining six drivers, all with one. That's Alex Bowman in 2020, Martin Truex in 18, Kyle Larson in 17, Brad Keselowski in 15, Kevin Harvick in 2011, and Kurt Busch in 2003. Again, that race should be uh, on Sunday. All the action begins this Saturday, February the 26th at Auto Club Speedway with the practice at 2 p.m. and qualifying at 2.35. The race, of course, is on Sunday, uh, starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox will start the pre-race coverage at 3. So uh, we got it all in, Jay. And now we're ready for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And uh, we've got one member already here. We're expecting a second. I believe joining us tonight will be Michael Orzel along with Tommy Kraft. So uh, is this uh, Michael or Tommy that we have on the line? hey You tell me. <laughs> okay. It sounds like Mike. So uh, Mike is definitely here. Uh, Tommy should be joining us shortly. And uh, we've got a lot of hot topics uh, to cover here. In fact, here's Tommy now. Uh, hey, Tommy, welcome to our Hot Topic Sound Off segment. Hey, thanks for having me back. How are y'all? We're doing great. We're doing great. Okay, to uh, start off our Hot Topics tonight, uh, Mike, why don't you start us off with the first Hot Topic here tonight? Sure. The uh, the big news is going to be a bit of a follow-up from something we discussed on Monday regarding the penalty report. Probably better to break it into two separate hot topics. So I'll start out with the follow-up that we had from Monday. We talked a lot about Team Penske and RFK making unauthorized modifications to the wheels and having those wheels confiscated prior to Daytona. Well, the penalty report came out yesterday, and neither RFK nor Team Penske received any sort of penalty at all regarding the, uh, the wheels. So that's kind of big news and a little bit unexpected given the discussion we had on Monday. Tommy, what are your thoughts about that? I was kind of surprised to not see um, – I was kind of surprised to see the RFK and Penske issue wasn't really addressed. I mean, the the money team and um, Justin Haley made sense since they had problems with the wheel during the race. 
Well, I kind of agree with the, the Justin Haley thing because his full wheel didn't come off, but the Money Team's car did. Um, but I'm more concerned with what's if, if it's going to be like an ongoing issue, which from what I saw on Twitter, Harvick said it was going to be. Uh, he said that it was to expect the Auto Club this weekend, too, the tire coming off. So I don't necessarily see where that's fair to find these teams, though. Um, if that is an issue, if their wheel keeps coming off, because it seems like that might be a problem. And if Roush Fenway and Pinsky are actually helping with whatever modifications they did make to the car, um, maybe that's why NASCAR didn't hit them with a penalty. But, um, yeah, uh, you know, just a new car and stuff like that's going to happen. So, but uh, Tone of 500, I thought it was a great race. So I just hope that they figure out what's going on with the wheels. Okay, Jay. Your thoughts? Yeah, I know with our discussion, and Tommy wasn't a part of that uh, on Monday night as Andy was here, we kind of all were in separate spots of whether or not we really thought there was going to be a penalty or what it should be. Uh, it doesn't totally surprise me that there's not a penalty and like I said, from what I gathered, Penske saying they had brought it to NASCAR, I get the feeling that NASCAR said, hey, we aren't ready to do this yet. They went ahead and did it, and that's why they confiscated the tires, but yet didn't penalize them because it was something they were looking at moving forward. Uh, whether that's fair or not, yeah, that's a tough call. Uh, as far as the ones, um, the money team and Justin Haley, and I know Ryan Blaney was having some issues. I listened to an interview on that. They quit changing tires because they were having a problem with theirs of getting theirs secure. It is something NASCAR has got to look at, um, and I'm sure is going to be there to help the teams as they progress through this. Uh, you know, again, it is a new tire, a new wheel, a new tire, the new lug nut, a lot of things in play, and we haven't seen it under real full race conditions. So, uh, hopefully, there aren't any major issues uh, like we saw there at the Daytona 500. Um, the one of the, the wheel completely coming off, you know, again, there, there could be so many different factors and things that come into play there, how the team was, uh, I think Sharon brought it up, you know, how they have their car set up, how they drive on it, or it could have been, it's possible it was a, a manufacturer problem with that one wheel. You know, it's not like they had the problem repeatedly. So, uh, trying to, to, to stay on the positive side. NASCAR is looking at it. They have, I believe, I heard 12 sets for this weekend as Auto Club is one that does eat up tires, especially we mentioned during our preview portion of the show. They haven't been there in two years. Um, They are using the Tire Dragon and resin in certain spots. I don't know if that has been identified on where they were going to put the resin. But so all of that packaging in, you know, NASCAR is aware of it. They're looking at it. The penalty itself, I would have thought maybe a little bit more of at least a warning towards Penske would have come with that of no penalty. Uh, But like I said, we don't know the exact uh, conversation that Penske had when they brought it to NASCAR. And I think that's where the key lies of why they didn't get penalized. Yeah, I would agree, Jay. I think in addition to that, the fact that they went to NASCAR with this and thought it was a good safety enhancement, Keselowski said that he felt that once NASCAR looked at uh, the wheel and did their research uh, at the our 
uh, research and development uh, or uh, facility that they would agree that it is a safety enhancement. So NASCAR actually met with Gen 6 suppliers and several race teams this week, and they discussed wheel specifications. And following that discussion, NASCAR made small adjustments to increase the upper tolerance on pin and pilot force for Fontana. So they're going to sit down and reevaluate with their suppliers and race teams and determine a path forward after this weekend's race again. But that tells me that they did indeed uh, see the benefits of making those changes to the tires. And as you mentioned, Jay, Fontana is one of those tracks that typically eat up tires uh, pretty bad. Uh, But uh, it's, it's a flatter track. It doesn't have as much banking as Daytona has, uh, but it is going to be a stress on the cars in a different way, which is why they're going to all these different tracks to start off the season is so that we can see how these uh, new next-gen car prefers, uh, performs on all these different tracks. So I, I think it played out pretty much the way that uh, Brad Keselowski said it would, uh, and with that in mind, uh, it sounds like NASCAR definitely agreed with him. Uh, the question I had, I think, on Monday night was if if they talked to NASCAR and NASCAR didn't get back to them, why would they go ahead and use those, try to use those tires without NASCAR's approval? Um, but uh, NASCAR found those tires before they were used uh, and that never actually used those tires on the track at Daytona. And so um, after their research, uh, they definitely agreed with uh, Kyle Busher, and they did make that change for the race that's coming up. So I think it's all good, and it's good to see NASCAR kind of collaborating with the organization, with the teams, and with their suppliers to uh, move forward with that. So, Mike, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the whole penalty report. I was kind of alluding to splitting the Justin Haley piece off to a separate hot topic, but uh, I'll, I'll give up my piece in one in one reply here. With regard to the Team Penske and RFK situation, I was really surprised that they didn't catch any sort of a penalty. I know on Monday uh, I was pretty bullish on them catching maybe not the full force of an L3 penalty. I would think it would have been a bridge too far to ban them from the playoffs just based on something like that. But I expected at least something coming down where NASCAR would say, hey, if we don't give you a yes, assume it's a no, and don't show up to the racetrack with these parts modified until you specifically get a yes from us. The fact that that, that Penske and RK actually showed up to Daytona with those parts, I thought was going to merit at least some sort of a penalty from NASCAR, if not a full L3 penalty. So I was really surprised to see that they didn't get anything out of the deal. I'm not saying they are wrong. It sounds like based on the changes that NASCAR has officially made for going into Fontana, it sounds like they've more or less adopted the Penske RFK solution that they had regarding the wheels, which is good. Hopefully it does help because there are some serious problems with the wheels on the Gen 7 car. We saw several issues uh, with the money team, uh, colleague racing, as well as Team Penske with Ryan Blaney and a few other cars where they couldn't get the wheel attached properly or wouldn't uh, line up properly. And the big one going into the Justin Haley penalty, I think the penalty that Colleague Racing and the 31 team had is pretty bogus. And the reason I say that, 
I understand that the wheel came off the car, and the penalty schedule says that if the wheel comes off a car, it's a four-race suspension for the crew chief and a four-race suspension for the tire changer. I get that. The problem is Justin Haley's wheel did not come off of that car in one piece. It looks like that wheel failed catastrophically. So that's a failure. Maybe it was a failure of the crew to not completely install it properly. Right. But if you look at the old steel wheels, if it was not installed properly, yeah, it would damage the wheel, but the thing wouldn't completely shake itself to pieces under one lap run at caution speed. So I think completely blaming the 31 team for the failure of that wheel, I think that's a little bit of a stretch in my opinion. Um, I don't know. There's, I think the team can appeal it. I haven't heard one way or the other whether they will or not. But I think that it merits a discussion about the durability of those aluminum wheels, especially with only one lug nut. If those wheels are able to catastrophically come apart like they did on the 31 car, if they're not completely installed properly, that may be something to look at for improving that wheel going forward in the interest of safety for everyone who's using that wheel. Um, And as far as penalizing RFK, speaking of people bringing up issues, Tony Stewart knows something about bringing up a safety issue at a NASCAR getting penalized for it, and then NASCAR adopting the recommendation pretty much the next day. So it wouldn't have surprised me to see a safety issue brought up by a team and then get penalized for it the next week. But we'll see what happens here. Okay. Tommy, your follow-up. Yeah, I kind of agree with the Justin Haley thing. I mean, his whole wheel didn't even come off. It was just like the – Tire rubber part that came off of it, but uh, you know, I don't know. I it didn't really show a good replay, but the only replay I saw it was the rubber going down the track for Kaz Brawla. It was the whole daggone tire. So, um, but pretty cool to see RFK and Penske if they did point out a safety issue and also solved maybe a tire problem too. So, but um, interesting. I'm not surprised though that they didn't comment on it this week and they only commented on what happened at the 500 and um, or during the 500 race. However, who knows what they'll do in the future. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I'm on that. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen colleague racing appeal yet on theirs for the Justin Haley team. Cause that did appear to be a parts failure and I'm not even sure they would win that appeal. Uh, I'm trying to think back of a few years ago when Matt Kenseth was uh, supplied with something from Toyota that was wrong, and they still took the penalty. So I'm not saying they would win it, but I I do see that they should appeal it based on a parts failure because that really is what that looked like. Um, Like I said, whether or not they'd win it, I don't know. Um, As far as the, the Penske RFK thing, we don't know that NASCAR didn't indeed say, hey, next time don't do anything until we tell you yes when we can bring it to the entire garage like they have moving forward now uh, into auto clubs that some adjustments were made. And I know that the other one that was talked about, we didn't really tie in here, but talking about the, the tire itself coming off, uh, Joey Logano with flat spotting his, not having that inner tire this year, once he flat spotted his, he was stuck because the car wouldn't go. So I think there are some things um, that they need to look at moving forward and make sure are better. And I know, obviously, it's a different track. You don't have the high banks of Daytona, but you have the worn-out track that's going to eat tires up. 
So I think they have a different thing to look at at each different track and unfortunately might be playing a little bit of uh, see what happens before we make any adjustments. And lastly, before we go back to Mike, I just want to say, man, you got to be full. I mean, your stomach's got to be overswelling with crow, because I think it was you that said Brad Keselowski was full of BS when he said it was a safety issue. Okay. Before we go to Mike, though, I'd like to chime in here. Uh, I think there's a reason for why NASCAR went ahead with the penalty for Justin Haley. If you recall, Justin Haley also had an issue at uh, the L.A. Coliseum and had to, you had uh, some problems there. The way this reads, uh, safety section 10.5.2.6, loss or separation of an improperly installed tire wheel from the vehicle. So uh, loss of tire or wheel during the event. That tire was useless, <laughs> so it was lost. It was a loss. Uh, so that's why everybody received that uh, penalty. I'm still not convinced that Justin Haley, uh, I, I think that he may be doing something that other drivers are not doing that may have caused that problem. And I think that's something that the team really needs to take a look at, considering that two races in a row, he's one of the people that had problems with the tire or the wheel. Um, so I do think they need to look at that. Uh, Kaz Grala, obviously the tire rolled down the track, so that was completely a loss of the tire. Uh, he rolled into pit road on his rotor, and uh, that that uh, tells you how sturdy those rotors were. One of the things that I thought about uh and, and I don't know if this is something that should be done across the board because uh, there were two drivers that this affected out of the 40-some drivers that were on the track. So it makes you wonder. Uh, one of the thoughts that I had was that last, we've always had steel tires on the wheel wells of those tires. Now it's aluminum. And I don't know, perhaps the aluminum is not as strong as they think it should be, especially under racing conditions, and it might be great for, uh, you know, your car and my car, but it may not be great for racing conditions. So I, I'm wondering if they need to look at that. But what kind of holds me back from saying they, they should do a large-scale uh, change is the fact that it's just the two drivers that this affected. It wasn't, there, was, there were 38 other drivers that did not have that issue. So uh, maybe this change that they're talking about uh, for Fontana will help, and they don't need to look at using steel versus aluminum. But um, I, I also think they need to look at what Justin Haley is doing inside that car that he's had issues two weeks in a row. So, Mike, your follow-up. Did we skip Tommy? No, we Tommy Because It should be... Okay, I, I just want because I, I'm, this is, I brought this one up, right? So I should be this should, should be me closing it out. I don't remember if we heard from Tommy yep. twice. Um, okay, Tommy, good. did I, we hear from you twice? Sure was... Tommy, yes. did we hear from you twice? Yes, yes, I will. Go ahead. All right, Jake, add, add that to my plate full of crow then, because like you said, <laughs> I, I've had my fill of it over the past few days. Um, 
Yeah, we've, we've said enough about the, the Penske RFK thing. Uh, with regard to Justin Haley and the 31 team, uh, I'm with Jay. I think they should appeal it. I don't know if they're going to win it or not, but it definitely merits something to look at. Um, with the steel wheels and five lug nuts, getting one out of five lug nuts loose on the steel wheel or not getting it on at all, that wasn't a big deal. It, 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 you would rattle a little bit, and you'd end up having to come back to pit road. Getting one out of one lug nuts not installed properly on this wheel is obviously a very big deal. And it looks like it was installed on the 31 at least to a certain extent and then shook itself loose, and the wheel came apart in the, in the course of that one lap run under caution. So this is something that really needs to get examined. I'm not an engineer, but I do know that aluminum tends to be more brittle than steel. Steel will tend to bend before it will break, but aluminum will tend to shatter, uh, kind of like what we saw with the wheel on the 31 car. So having that single lug nut with the small pinholes with an aluminum wheel, I think maybe a setup for, for kind of disaster, and that we, that's what we saw with the 31 team. Uh, we're going to find out a whole lot more with regard to the wheels and tire and uh, mounting situation this weekend. Remember, the first round of pit stops at Daytona was where we saw the most tire changes take place. Most teams took two tires. Some took four. And then after the issues that a lot of teams had on those pit stops, they started to really skip them. They'd either do two tires or no tires. And there will be pit stops for tires every single time they come down pit road this weekend at Auto Club just because, like you said, the nature of the track surface is that they're going to need to put tires on those every time. So we're probably going to see double the number of tire changes this weekend, even though the race is 100 miles shorter. If there are issues with the Gen 7 wheels, I think they're going to rear their ugly heads this weekend, and they're going to need to get addressed. Jay brought up the Joey Logano situation where it kind of highlighted the loss of the inner liners causing issues with cars getting back to pit road. Joey Logano spun the car out in order to avoid getting involved in a wreck. Normally, you blow the outer tire, you ride back on the inner line, and you limp it back to pit road, put four tires on it. Maybe you lose one lap if you lose that many at all. Joey Logano had to get pushed all the way from where he spun out, basically at the trioval, all the way back to pit road because there was no contact between the car and the ground uh, to turn the wheels. It was just basically the car bottomed out on the track so he couldn't move. So now you're looking at more disabled cars on the racetrack that can't move under their own power. They're going to need to get pushed. That, and that sounds like a logistic issue that's going to slow the race down, and it also sounds like a potential safety issue of more stalled cars on the racetrack that could potentially be hit by other cars. So figuring out how to put an inner liner back in these tires, I think maybe something they're going to have to look at in the future. But I'm sure we're not done talking about it yet. So in a couple episodes, I'm sure we're going to have another rehash of it. Here we go. Yeah, I know some of the crew chiefs, too, have said that this is a learning curve for a lot of these pit crews, getting that uh, one lug nut tight. Uh, because what happens is that they, they, they think it's tight, but it's because they got a little piece of that aluminum that comes off, and it appears to be tight, but that little nugget <laughs> that gets stuck in there uh, from the uh, putting the tire on there uh, makes it feel like it's tight when it's not. So that's something that they're already aware of and they're looking at and and uh, cautioning these teams when they're putting those tires on. I'm sorry, I, I just realized that I, I had heard that earlier today, and I wanted to make sure we mentioned it as well. Okay, um, Tommy, you're up next. Okay, let's go with the 
2022 Daytona 500 uh, viewership um, that Mike posted because um, I didn't get to talk it on Monday, so I want to talk about the 500 with y'all. Okay. Uh, Jay, you're up first on this one. Well, and this is where I said that everybody that posts numbers are going to use them to try and manipulate. You know, we talked about it. Yeah, there does seem to be a buzz about NASCAR right now with the first two races, the Daytona 500 specifically. Um, I know that's what certain decisions and whatnot are based off of, but I also can't see putting it all your eggs in that basket because we don't know at this point, we don't have a way of tracking the, the streaming devices and I don't know how the whole, uh, I'm one that falls in that category a lot of times, the DVR of recording it and watching it later. I don't know how that plays into it. So I understand being aware of them and, you know, they want to post positive results uh, based off of them. But just keep in mind that numbers can be manipulated to, to push whatever side you're on. So uh, I think that fans in the stands was the most positive And I'd go based off of that. I mean, truthfully. Uh, that's what I got to go with to begin with because that's where it starts. And I know it'll lead into we got another one about the new TV deal coming. But uh, see how that plays out. I think there was good viewership. You know, no matter what the numbers say, the, the number of people talking about it, obviously there there was involvement in it. So it has to be a good thing. Okay, Mike. Yeah, the numbers that Tommy was referencing were regarding the TV ratings. The 2022 Daytona 500, the one that was just run this past Sunday, pulled in about 8.8 million viewers. And the next closest comparison is 2019, because remember the previous two years, 2021 and 2020, both had substantial rain delays. So it's not really fair to compare those races versus this year's race that was run completely in good weather. So the 2019 version of the race had 9.1 million viewers. So this year's version was down around 300,000 fewer viewers. Like Jay said, I wouldn't take that as gospel as those are the exact number of eyes that were sitting there looking at the screen, but it's not something to completely blow off either. It's something to keep an eye on, something NASCAR should definitely be aware of. The Daytona 500 is the biggest race of the year. It should be the most watched race of the year. It's the marquee event of the year, and it's a really good year-over-year uh, year comparison to see where the sport is as a whole because you have a comparison from year to year of the same event at relatively the same time, usually the weekend after the Super Bowl, and it gives you a good marker for where the sport is in terms of viewership and attractiveness. Now, Jay brought up a good point. This was the first time the Daytona 500 has been completely sold out in a while. Of course, the past couple of years, they haven't been able to sell all the seats because of the pandemic. But there are some good signs to take away from it as well, like the ticket sales of people who actually want to make the travel to go to the racetrack and see the race in person. So there's definitely some good takeaways from there. But TV viewership, especially with the new TV contract coming, like you said, we'll talk about that probably in the next topic of what they can do to improve the TV product. It's something to keep an eye on to make sure that the sport is able to continue to grow and benefit and get better for the future. That's uh, that's very true. Okay, now 
one thing that we should keep in mind, too, it says despite the, the low number, the race was the most watched single network sportscast of the entire week. It actually topped all of NBC's primetime Olympic windows and the NBA All-Star Game. It dominated competing Olympics coverage head-to-head on Sunday afternoon, which had a 1.4 or 2.26 million viewers. Sunday also was the most watched television program of the entire day and ranked uh, second behind Turner's NBA All-Star Game in 18 to 49 in the 18 to 49 age range uh 1.5 or eight, let's see 1.5 the 18 to 34 was 0.9 and the 25 to 54 was 2.1 so uh there are some positives here even though and keep in mind we were in pandemic last year uh and a lot of people might have even missed it that Daytona 500 was even going to be on. Plus, they had the rain issues last year uh, as well. So, yeah, I know. It's it's just all kinds of things that you can look at with regards to those numbers. I wouldn't take it too too seriously. Tommy, you get the next comment. Uh, Sharon, you might want to do a time check, too. Okay, yeah, we are coming up to uh, the 10.30 time frame. Thank you, Jay. Uh, And that means that we are going to be going off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Now, if you're a new listener, you might wonder uh, if we go off air and we're mid-sentence, how do you hear the rest of the conversation? Uh, Because we do continue talking about these hot topics beyond that time frame, and we record that conversation uh, and it's available on our podcast. I will go out on Twitter to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to the player and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So we like to alert people, especially our new listeners that are tuning in for the first time, uh, that that's going to happen so that you're not caught off guard and wondering, how do I hear the rest of that conversation? So with that, Tommy, <laughs> go ahead with your thoughts. So the Daytona 500 was awesome. Um, glad to see that the viewership was up, even though the last two races were uh, rain-delayed, and that did affect viewership. I mean, that was the other thing that I was probably going to say, too, was it was just nice that the Daytona 500 wasn't rained out for the first time in what feels like a long time. And the race was able to get in in a decent time, it feels like. I feel like the Daytona 500 has really over the past few years turned into the race ending at night. Um, I mean, I remember a lot of good finishes, though, in the night, and this was certainly one of them with Cendric. Um, Harvick won and beat Martin in the 07 race in nighttime. Uh, Dale Earnhardt won the one where Austin Dillon had that awful flip on the front stretch in the night. Uh, just a bunch of good races. Um, and even the two that were rain-delayed, I mean, they were – yeah, I guess you could say there was a lot of wrecks in them, but there always are at Daytona and Talladega. It's just part of the, the, the race there. But the people and the track for the 500 was insane. I saw that. It made me want to go so bad. In fact, I think I've decided that I'm going to go to Bristol this year in September, and then next year I'm going to do the Daytona 500 Speed Week. Um, 
do the whole thing, Gatorade duels and all. I, I watched the Gatorade duels. I was very satisfied this weekend with all the races I saw. Um, really impressed, and uh, I hope that it helps benefit NASCAR into whatever this TV deal is uh, that they're uh, trying to pursue. But great race. Um, crazy wrecks, Mayat Snyder and Harrison Burton. Um, and the, the angles of the Harrison Burton wreck too, with, uh, whoever the onboard camera was of the car when it was flipping, I mean, just amazing shots. Uh, and then Cindric winning it, um, by blocking everybody like he did, uh, just, I can see why viewership was up and it was the most watched sporting event. I mean, everything about it was great. Okay, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I, I see when different different sources post these numbers, not just when it pertains to racing, but other things that I, I watch and involved in. And it really, truly, to me, uh, it doesn't mean a whole lot. I don't understand it. I know there are people that get paid to monitor that, study it, monitor it, change things around with it. And I'm going to go with that. I hope NASCAR is the right people doing that, especially as we prepare for the uh, new TV package deal. Uh, but as far as my part, I watch the race. Uh, I encourage others to watch it, try and take them to the races, and talk about it here on Fan for Racing and elsewhere. So that's my part that I can do to try and uh, bring those numbers up. Uh, like I said, I don't understand what the, the Nielsen ratings. We've talked about that nowadays it's tough to even monitor that because of different avenues and platforms that can be used. Uh, I go based on, like I said, the fact that the stands were full, and there's obviously a lot more talk about it, and go from there. And, and you know, whatever NASCAR decides to do of how they handle that those numbers, uh, I'll leave that in their hands. The uh, the ratings on the Daytona 500, like I said, it's it, grain of salt kind of material. I totally agree with Tommy. This was a much better race this year than last year for a lot of reasons. Uh, I thought the racing was much better. They didn't wad up half the field 20 minutes into the race and then sit for six hours in a rain delay. That was a, a big plus. Uh, but I thought just in general, from start to finish, the race was much, much better. Uh, and the, the finish of the race itself was also uh, better if for no other reason than they got they actually got to the checkered flag before the race ended, which is a big plus. Um, so, Going forward, the focus should probably be on how how do we improve the ratings from here, get more eyes onto the race, whether it be in person. Can't do much better than a sold-out crowd, so that's a good thing there. Um, So how do we get more eyes onto the sport via either streaming services, watching live on TV? What kind of product are fans looking for? If they can't come to the racetrack, what kind of product will attract fans to watch? And I think that's uh, definitely something to, to talk about here moving forward. I know uh, we're going to talk about the new TV contract here, I guess, at some point. Uh, and I've got some numbers to bring up as well when, when we get there. But, the, yeah, the, the ratings numbers should be used in the context of how do we get more people involved in watching our sport. Yeah. Um, it does say in here, too, I, I kind of outlined that it was one of the most viewed events of the week as well as of the day, but it was also the second most streamed NASCAR event in Fox Sports history. So a lot of people did use that Fox Sports uh, app and stream the race as well. So uh, that tells me that they are looking at streaming in these numbers. So uh, just an FYI there. 
Um, and and I know that that's one of the things uh, that we'll talk about when we talk about TV, um, uh, the TV deal that they're working on. Uh, streaming is extremely important because more and more people are doing like I did. I cut the cable and I stream everything now, uh, including the races and, and uh, uh, everything. But I will say when I went to the streaming platform, I have Roku, and so one of the things that pops up on my screen is the Nielsen ratings, and I can opt in or out of that Nielsen ratings. So that's where the Nielsen ratings uh, comes in with regard to uh, whether or not those numbers are counted. Now, some people are going to opt in and have their viewership uh, included. Some people are going to opt out of that and their viewership might not be included in those numbers. So that's something to keep in mind there as well uh, when you're looking at these numbers. Uh, people have that option to opt out of the Nielsen ratings through the streaming platform. So, Tommy, you get the final word here. I just think there's a lot to be excited about. Um, it's nice seeing the numbers up for Daytona. It was nice seeing the um, the crowd there sunny weather. I mean, I think I saw on Twitter where it said that this was the first speed weeks where nothing was rained out or something. So, I mean, everything <laughs> got in. I mean, like I said, I couldn't be more happy. The The Gatorade 125s were awesome. The truck race was awesome. The Xfinity race was awesome. I didn't catch. I watched the first two stages, and I had somewhere to go after the Xfinity race. So, I missed that whole final stage, but I saw that crazy wreck on Twitter. Uh, with Myatt Snyder, and um, and then the Daytona 500 was did not disappoint. Um, they got it in. A rookie won the race. Uh, moving forward, though, how to get more viewership, uh, we'll probably talk about the TV deal. But um, I just think there's a lot to be excited for. Um, I saw where merchandise sales were up. Um, I remember going to Talladega and. You know, I I thought there was going to be more of a selection than I saw there, so maybe I just didn't go to the right track or something. But Talladega was a great race too, though. But um, I'm just excited. I can't wait for Auto Club this weekend. They haven't been there in a while. I uh, hope that the stands are full there since they haven't been there in two years. But uh, I guess we'll see. Okay. Jay, you get to bring up the next topic. I've got a feeling I know what it is. But. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to throw you for a loop here. I am going to bring up oh. the, the TV rights deal. Uh, we have mentioned it a couple times, so it was going to get talked about, but I wasn't going to bring it up. But Mike actually said he would like to, and I'm going to be nice. I'll even bring it up on behalf of Mike because uh, we're, we're doing so well this year and agreeing on things, and I don't know what's going on with that. It scares me. But – uh, there is an article up and uh, uh, I think it's on Jayski. Is that correct, Sharon? Uh, yeah. yeah. We, okay. It's on, on Jayski. NASCAR president Steve Phelps uh, talked about a variety of things, but one being the media rights contract. Current deal ends after the 2024 season, but they're set to begin exclusive negotiations with current broadcasters, uh, Fox and NBC, here at the beginning of 2023, according to Phelps. Uh, looking for it to be an eight to ten year contract, as the past ones have been, and just one quote: it, how we look at the digital world versus over the air versus cable. 
uh, is what they're really looking at. Uh, so that is going to be a factor. Yes, indeed. Uh, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I appreciate this. There may have been a little collusion here offline regarding uh, bringing up topics and whatnot. But anyway, Jay, I really appreciate the volley here, and I'll be, I'll be glad to follow up on it. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the quality of the broadcast and trying to get more eyes onto the sport. And one of the big topics on social media regarding the Daytona 500 was the overwhelming the perception, at least, of overwhelming advertising that, that just seemed to just flood the broadcast. And there has been a little bit of metric on this, but not as much as I would like. Jay Ski's published articles uh, for this year, the 2022 Daytona 500, as well as the previous two years, 21 and 20, where he breaks down the analytics of the amount of time in the broadcast that was dedicated to commercials. And... For 2022, 48 minutes out of the total 240-minute broadcast, or 20%, was a commercial break, either a full screen or a side-by-side commercial. And that's comparable with 2021, where it was 19%, and 2020 was 16%. Unfortunately, 2019 was when JSQ was going through that purgatory with ESPN, so he doesn't have any data for 2019, which, as we said before, was the last non-rain-delayed Daytona 500. So we don't have a perfect comparison. The bit of data that I really wish to be captured, though, is the amount of soft advertisement. And what I mean when I say soft advertisement is on air during the broadcast plugs that are read by either the booth announcers or remember that little side bit that they did where Michael Waltrip and Jamie Little went to go get Wendy's hamburgers in the infield or they had some ARCA driver, a pre-recorded video of some ARCA driver announcing some contest. That was kind of soft advertisements that don't break away from the broadcast but are, have really become intrusive and jarring. It felt like a large portion of that uh, intruded into the broadcast and took away from covering the racing. And I understand that racing is not cheap, and I understand that they have bills to pay. But this is where the TV ratings piece comes in. The cost of putting on a NASCAR race, I don't believe, has substantially increased over the years. However, as the number of TV viewers has decreased, it's become more and more difficult to charge the premiums that they used to be able to charge to small numbers of advertisers to cover the bills. So now think of it like a pie. The cost to run the operation and everyone makes money and everyone's happy, that's one pie, and you got to sell the whole pie in order for everyone to be happy. Well, back in the day, you used to be able to cut some pretty big chunks out of that pie, sell it, and you'd have the whole pie sold. Well, nobody wants to pay the amount of money that you need to get for those big chunks, so they need to cut the pie into smaller pieces. And because you're cutting the pie into smaller pieces, now you've got more people who have a piece – and need to figure out how to fit them in somewhere. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot more of the soft plugs brought to you by, sponsored by kind of stuff inside of the race broadcast is because of trying to fit those smaller advertisers in. So as, there's, as they're restructuring those, the new TV deals, whether it's Fox and NBC or ESPN, CBS, whoever comes in, they've really got to look at how to streamline the product and Get the bills paid without this intrusive advertisement that has definitely been noticed on social media and has definitely a point of discussion on the fans, but harder to quantify and even harder to figure out what to do about. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? So uh, to add to that, not, 
I did see on Twitter too where there was a lot of ads and um saw the rumbles of that I guess. But also when I was watching the race, someone that I was watching it with kind of pointed out too that and I always felt like this as a kid, whenever it would cut to a commercial, that was when the wreck would happen <laughs> every time. But maybe that's just <laughs> coincidental. I think that's just coincidental, but I swear it happens. They were going to cut to an ad at one point during the race, and then they had to cut right back to the race because there was a wreck going on. So they, they rebounded there at least. But um, also watching the race, too, there was like, I feel like, 20 laps to go in the race or something just that to me, when I'm watching the super speedway races and from what I've noticed over the years, and I've, I've been watching, I guess you could say every Daytona 500 in Dega since probably 2001. Um, with 20 laps to go at Talladega and Daytona, you don't want to be cut into an ad because that's when it's getting dicey, picking up and everything's going on. They need to get in all the ads before the last 20, 30 laps to go. Get all that out of the way because that, that isn't going to work because that's when all the drivers start moving from and you start saying, where did he come from? Somebody that's been running 30th comes all the way up to the front. Like Dale Jarrett used to do that stuff. Kevin Harvick does it now. Like 15 laps to go and Harvick's suddenly up there in third or second. Um, but – uh, well, I wanted to add to that, too, is this. Not only if you're trying to bring in new viewership, I assume you're trying to get kids to watch. I don't know what happened. I mean, I don't have this problem, but I feel like kids today don't have the time span to focus on stuff. Like, I know kids that came to watch football and baseball because it takes so long. They have to watch basketball because it's constant stuff going on. I feel like racing has a benefit to that because even though they are just going in laps and circles to some people, there's still passing going on and still stuff going on. They say, and don't kill that with a lot of commercials. Because as soon as the commercials come in, the kids won't leave. Okay, yeah. One of my complaints with Fox Sports coverage has always been that they spend so much time kind of promoting themselves instead of promoting the race. And they get caught up in that sometimes to the point that they miss things that are going on in the race. Uh, a lot of people, what they do is is they um, turn on the radio uh, and listen to it over the radio because you can catch things on the radio a lot faster than what they bring it up on TV. Uh, and, and uh, Tommy, I agree with you. They, they did have some incidents there where they cut to a commercial at the worst time uh and and uh it kind of left all of us hanging um as far as what was going on so yeah fox just needs to tighten that up because they have been weak on that regard uh for a while even clint boyer and i like clint boyer i know andy adores clint boyer but clint boyer was really struggling this weekend on the coverage he was um getting names wrong and and uh all kinds of things uh kind of stumbling with where he was going next to and i kept saying come on let's get it out <laughs> what it is you're trying to say um so th- i think that really needs to take a look at that and do some evaluation of themselves uh as far as their coverage of what's happening on the track i know nbc kind of got into some of that too um 
the self-promotion and, and kind of the fun little things that they do. There is some room for that. Sometimes I think they take it too far, though, because when I tune into the race itself, I do all that stuff during the pre-race stuff, but during the race, I want to see what's happening with the race. I don't want to hear about, you know, all these other things. Um, Larry McReynolds gives some good information about things pertaining to what's happening in the race. That's good. Um, but uh, just some of this other stuff that they kind of get sidetracked with, they miss what's going on in the race, and that is a little bit aggravating. Um, but you're right about the new fan that's listening too. They need to. They need um, to keep things going to where they can stay engaged, and that's probably why they try to do some of these fun things. But I think new fans are tuning in as well to see what's happening in the race and not some of these side things that they kind of get caught up in sometimes. So, But as far as um, uh, looking at the TV contract for, next, for uh, the future and uh, beyond, uh, I know that they said that they're looking at the digital world versus the over-the-air, uh, digital world versus over-the-air versus cable, uh, and what the partners are doing on Fox and NBC and what they can do differently. They said Fox really having Tubi is, uh, so it's not really a real direct-to-consumer play as NASCAR has with Peacock. So that's something that they are looking at. Uh, Tubi doesn't cover the races, I think, at all, uh, where you can see some of the races on Peacock streaming. So they're looking at how to make sure that they have the significant eyeballs on every race and what's going on in that race. My thing is they've got to improve uh, at least what I've seen so far on Fox this season. They've got to improve what they're doing and how they're focusing on the race um, uh, moving forward if they want to get that contract, if it was up to me. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, as as they say, you can't hide uh, hide who you are as a person. So I will say this: I kind of brought this one up to allow Mike to start it out there, uh, so I could argue with him. Now, um, I think back to from when I started watching ESPN. You got ten minute updates throughout, and I'm just using the Daytona 500, being that that's the race we just had. Throughout the uh, the race, you got ten minute updates or whatever, and then maybe coverage of the last half hour or X number of laps. So being appreciative of what we have, I think is important. And Mike said it, somebody's got to pay the bills. That's where it comes in. And you have to be realistic yep. on a sport like racing. It is different of than say football, where when they call a timeout and they huddle up, that's when you go to commercial. You don't have that possibility. I know they looked at that of doing that with the stage breaks. That's kind of what came into play with the stage breaks. Um, so they could take commercial breaks and not miss any racing action um, during that. So uh, there have been improvements. Are there still things that could be approved upon? Absolutely. I am not disagreeing with that by any means. I am one, though, though that, like I said, I kind of just feel thankful knowing of from when I started watching to where it is now, um, where it's at, that we have more than what we did. Uh, I, and I, I'm with Tommy. I, you're right. Back even when they start, started doing full coverage of races, 
you're right. It did seem like they'd go to commercial right as something exciting was happening uh, or a wreck was happening. I don't get frustrated with that at times. And like I said, though, I understand that the bills that, that have to be paid, I think about, you know, going to the streaming thing and, and I don't know if they even have commercials on there, but then people say, well, they don't want to pay X amount for the broadcasting fee or the, the streaming fee that goes along with that. So I, I, I see both sides to it and I get frustrated. It just seems like the focus is on the negative. And like I said, I'm not disagreeing. Things could be improved upon. Some of the things I like, some of them I don't. Uh, personally, the side-by-side -side thing, I think that was one of them they first introduced. I would rather them go away for a full commercial than do the side-by-side -side thing because as that shrinks, i got to move, lean forward and sit closer to the TV in order to even see it, really, what's going on with it. So to me, there's no benefit. I would rather them go away to the commercial, come back, and be able to see the full screen. But that's just my personal opinion. I know a lot of people are in favor of the side-by-side. -side, so I think that has a lot to do with it of what each individual prefers and gets from it as well. Mike, your follow-up? I watched an interesting video on YouTube today. We're talking about the digital age of NASCAR. Well, there's quite a few YouTube channels out there that cover NASCAR content. One of them is known as the Iceberg. And he actually put out a video earlier today regarding Fox and kind of analyzing how the Fox Sports broadcast has evolved over the, the 21 or 22 years that they've had the exclusive contract with Fox for NASCAR. And the conclusion he came to, long story short, was, they really haven't evolved. Yes, some of the names have changed in the booth and around, and, but the overall structure of the product that they're producing right now is very much a 2000, 2001, 2002 kind of product and hasn't fundamentally changed to update for, as Steve Phelps said, the digital age or the Internet age or you know, whatever adage you want to use to describe it. The Fox broadcast and to a lesser extent the NBC broadcast are still stuck very much in producing a early 2000s product where you didn't have so many different options for consumption of the sport. And I think that's probably going to be the biggest thing that needs to be looked at in structuring not just the new TV deal, but how the whole sport is produced broadcast and transmitted to the fans. Jay brought up the streaming service idea, and that may not be a terrible problem, but the problem with streaming services is you've got a very cluttered market right now. Say somebody's paying 50 bucks a month just for basic cable on top of a $100 internet package. Well, now we're $150, 15 bucks a month for Netflix, 15 bucks a month for Amazon Prime, another maybe 15 bucks for Hulu, Throw in a couple more subscriptions, and now you're talking two, three, dollars a month for people. And if NASCAR wants to create their own streaming service, even another $5 a month, $10 a month, which seems relatively a small ask, that might be a bridge too far for a lot of fans where they're not interested in paying that additional fee. So if NASCAR wants to get into the streaming service game, I think they would be wise to try and attach to an already existing one, say if they can get their races carried on Amazon Prime with few, if any, ads, aside from maybe an Amazon banner in the top corner of the, of the screen or something. That may be something that they can look at, piggyback onto an existing streaming service that fans don't need to make the decision of, well, do I keep Hulu or do I now buy the NASCAR streaming service? I think that was probably the way to go on that. We'll see what it looks like. 
like we said, we got about another year before negotiations start coming, and realistically, we're not going to know anything until deep into the negotiating process. But I am really interested to see where these deals go and how the product changes in the future, hopefully for the better. Okay, Tommy? So um, we were talking about YouTube right then. YouTube is, would be a good streaming, in my opinion. I mean, everybody gets on YouTube. That'd be a good platform platform for NASCAR to stream on. Um, Amazon Prime would be another good one who doesn't have Amazon products. And then for uh, – I would actually like to see NASCAR go back to ESPN. Um, I do like Fox and NBC and FS1 and all those. But if we're talking about viewership and getting the most views – uh, YouTube, Amazon Prime, and ESPN would be a great way to start because all three of those, I mean, everybody watches ESPN. That's kind of like a guy's news channel, in my opinion. I don't watch Fox News or anything like that. I watch ESPN for my news. <laughs> so um, I feel like that that would be a great channel for NASCAR to be on. Uh, I do get that when you're watching a race on ESPN, they are going to flash highlights the whole time of whatever other sporting events going on. Luckily, at least football's not going on until September. So maybe just don't do any racing uh, with ESPN after the month of September because football highlights throughout the whole NASCAR <laughs> race wouldn't be a good idea. But to start the year off with ESPN on the Daytona 500 or the Coca-Cola's, Coca-Cola 500 or Indianapolis or maybe the August Daytona race or the Talladega race, that would, I feel like, would definitely spike viewership. It would be a good idea to do that. Do it at tracks that they know would get the most viewership. Bristol, Martinsville, Darlington, uh, Daytona, Talladega. Give them a test run at ESPN and see how it does. And, you know, a lot of Kids have ESPN on their app. A lot of people have ESPN as the app on their phone. So, I mean, they could view it that way. I mean, it, it would just be a good idea. But um, I'm curious to see who they talk to as well, and I hope that they get a good mix of maybe cable and uh, streaming service so that way it's a best-of-both-worlds type deal. Okay. Yeah, I agree with a, a lot of what you said there that, you know, try to use the existing apps and not come up with something totally new that people have for, um, you know, and then make, give them a monthly payment option if they do come up with that because uh, some of these apps, they want you to pay the annual fee for it up front instead of paying on a monthly basis. And I think for NASCAR fans, you're going to have to have that month to month. Um so I think uh, NASCAR hopefully is looking at all of that. Uh, with regard to the split screen, I agree with you, Jay. I think the way they present the split screen is not the optimal way to do that. They get wrapped up in their graphics and everything um, instead of what the purpose of having the split screen is all about. Uh, and they, they, there are ways that they could do that split screen where you wouldn't have to move your chair up closer to the TV to see it. Um, but they're, they're putting it up there on a smaller, smaller, uh, visual and, uh, 
they can do a much bigger visual. Uh, so I think these TV stations just need to look at, they need to sit at home and watch the race like we do. And I think they'll see, I think that happened one time. Somebody was at home watching the race and they noticed some things and, and uh, brought it up. So I think that those, that's what these guys need to do. They need to sit at home and watch these races and really take some notes on what they're doing and what they can be doing differently. Um, but, uh, uh, and I think NASCAR needs to challenge them to do that. So, Jay, you get the final word on this one. Well, I'm all for looking for different ways uh, to make improvements. And just mentioning one you mentioned there, Sharon, uh, and I want to say it was maybe uh, maybe even Brian uh, Eberle from Fan for Racing. You know, he mentioned whoever was sponsoring the scoring rundown had a yellow logo at the top. And in his mind, when he looked up there, he kept thinking that was a yellow for a caution flag. Uh, there was a green yeah. in the middle of it that showed the condition of the track as far as flag. So, yeah, you got to be careful about that. There, They thought they were getting in what they needed with that subtle advertising, but it actually, to a race fan, was distracting. Now, a new fan coming in wouldn't understand that's where they'd look for that anyway, so it's not a, a factor to them. Um, I, I think it's really tough as, as one of those of unless you're going to and I, and I almost said this earlier, show the entire race, no commercials, no nothing, somebody's going to complain. And my answer to that would be, well, go to the track. Well, then what do you get? Well, I can't see all the way on that side of the track from my seat or There's this or that. Or, you know. yeah. Right, exactly. That's my thing. Now, like I said, are there different ways that it can be improved? Yes. And some of the things that I know Tommy mentioned of ways of going about it, um, I really was thinking about it, what, what Mike said as far as how the, the actually full production hadn't evolved since 2000. I, there may be something to that. Of, of I know they got the drone shots now, but there again, when they did the drone shots at the Coliseum, people were complaining about that. I just, I don't know. I, I get frustrated. I get more frustrated with people not being happy with what they have the, than anything. Uh, like I said, I I see where improvements could be made possibly, yes. But I'm also happy with what we have versus what I know we had when I started watching anyway. So uh, I'm sure NASCAR is looking into it. I think the, the streaming package, whether I use the streaming or not, it doesn't matter. I think that is a good thing that they're looking at involving incorporating because it is the future, uh, as we talked with Flow Racing about. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to call it a night with that, but we'll do our roundtable here next. So, Mike, we'll start with you on the roundtable. Well, I guess I'm going to have to have J- have an IOU for Jay because part of our drug deal is I was going to bring up the Ryan Newman SRX, and unfortunately we ran out of time. We'll have to talk about it some other time. But then again, the score is like J5, Mike 1 for this season in terms of all the crow I've had to eat. So I don't know how much I actually <laughs> owe Jay. Uh, if you want to keep up with me, it's Mike underscore Ozell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Still got the article up on the preview for the year. I'm sure there's going to be some other hot topic or controversy that I can get my 500 or less words in on and, and, and post an article up on here soon. I'll keep you posted. I'm working next week. Unfortunately, I most likely won't be able to talk to you all unless things change. But I should be back to talk about the race weekend following, which I believe is Las Vegas after Auto Club, or is it Phoenix and then Las Vegas? Either way, week after next, look forward to hearing my smiling face and charming personality all over your radio. Okay, Tommy. 
uh, at since 95 fan on Twitter. Uh, haven't tweeted in a while, so I need to get out there and tweet some stuff up. Uh, but uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, enjoy discussing hot topics with y'all, and uh, I'm excited. The 500 was great. Can't wait for this weekend. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And even if Mike isn't here, I'll make sure to point out that, yes, he owes me. So <laughs> we'll we'll keep up with that. Uh, he doesn't owe me any Mountain Dew right now, though, I will say that. Uh, been a great night. I absolutely loved it. I always do enjoy it and can't wait till we uh, get to do it again Monday uh, as far as hot topics. All right. And uh, speaking of Monday, we will be back on air next Monday. 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Joe Graff, Jr. is our scheduled guest for the 9 o'clock segment. Uh, so definitely we're looking forward to catching up with Joe. And uh, we will uh, keep everybody posted on that. Uh, and then we'll be back on Thursday for the preview show. Uh, a big thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate all of you for uh, taking the time to hear what we have to say. Uh, and uh, if you ever have any comments, feel free to reach out to us uh, with your commentary as well. Uh, also, to the Fan for Racing crew that was here tonight, Jay, Michael, and Tommy, I appreciate all that you guys do. Uh, it's always a big uh, night on Fan for Racing Radio, and I always enjoy the uh, lively conversation and, and different perspectives on everything that's going on in the racing world. Uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a night, and uh, we'll see you on the other side of the weekend of racing. Take care, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus